Can we talk about this when I get back from Alaska? And welcome to the Movie Ladder Podcast. We're all about cinematic connections. Each week we're discussing a movie that connects to the movie from the previous week's podcast. I'm Zach Brooks, and for the 160th time, I am joined by... Brandon Fitzpatrick, Supertramp. Oh, man. Fitzpatrick, Supertramp. And we are not alone on this bus, my friend. You have a visitor. Is there anybody out there? Is there anybody out there? Hello. It's me, DM Philly McCandles. Uh, I am here. I'm on the bus, ready to roll, my friends. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited uh, to be hanging out with you guys, talking through this delightful film. Yes. Welcome, ma- welcome making your, what, first appearance on the Movie Letter podcast in any form. So a debut, indeed. Yes, we've yeah. danced around a little bit. We've played a little bit of Movie Ladder tag, I guess. Yeah. Um, but you guys got me for a good one. I'm really excited to stop in for this particular uh, 160th episode. You guys have been chugging away for a while. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, fourth years, season, uh, it's really exciting, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so we'll get into everything about the movie we're talking about, because last week we talked about The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, and this week, due to, I already have the title connection written down, there's not going to be any discussion, it is Sean Penn Behind the Camera is our connection. We, we will be discussing Sean Penn actually stepping behind the camera instead of uh, on screen behind the camera. In 2007's Into the Wild, he wrote, and directed it. It's based on the John Krakauer book from uh, 96 about Christopher McCandless, who uh, does the titular going into the wild. And he goes Indeed. into Alaska and we follow him on his bogus journey. Excellent. A, a bogus journey, call. indeed. Uh, yeah. a, a, a noble but foolish pursuit is what I what I would call it. Ah, OK. <laughs> the title connection in another world. Uh, so yes, yeah. uh, we'll be discussing into the wild. And then at the end of the episode, we'll decide on our next movie based on suggestions sent in by you, the listeners, and ones that we brought as your host, and then Rich gets to get through, put through the gauntlet, and we get to see what Rich brought as his suggestions off of Into the Wild. No pressure. Oh my gosh, I'm ready for it. Well, we, were talking, we were talking before that there's now 159 landmines that guests have to avoid when <laughs> yeah. suggesting movies. Um, we're going to see how I do. I've got some really weird deep cut esoterra, so we'll we'll see what I can send nice. you guys off to. I, I would expect nothing less from you, my friend. I would expect nothing <laughs> less. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like when you're playing Minesweeper and you get like I don't know if, I don't know if anybody's made a Minesweeper reference in the last ten years, but <laughs> twenty years. And it's like, all right, there's. It took me a long time to learn how to play Minesweeper, like what the numbers meant. And then once I learned, I actually it's a very fun game. I do like Minesweeper. I was I was always much more of a Tetris kid. Tetris. All right. Yeah. Uh, spider Solitaire. Maybe I know you like that too. Yeah, they go in the Spider Solitaire. That's so, a good one. Uh, we will be spoiling it to the wild, so if you have not seen it, it is uh, available for streaming rental, but it is not available free streaming anywhere that we could find. Uh, and so uh, you can go, you can watch it, come back and listen to this podcast, or if you want to just skip ahead and hear what we'll be deciding for next week, there's a timestamp in the description of this podcast. And as always, follow us uh, on Twitter at Ladder Movie and on Instagram at Ladder Movie. Send your feedback to us those ways. Also, you can email us, themovieladder at gmail.com. And follow us on Letterboxd, the movie ladder. We post all of our movies on there. We have our watch list, which is all the movies suggested 
through the life of this podcast. If you're ever looking for something to watch, check that watch list and so on and so forth. Uh, Rich, what's going on in your world? All kinds of stuff. I'm hustling. I'm hanging out at post show recaps. I'm podcasting about a bunch of stuff. I'm streaming uh, Dungeons and Dragons and a bunch of tabletop role playing games over on Twitch. So I'm having a good time. It's been a pretty good 2023 so far. It's my birthday tomorrow, gentlemen. So you guys invite me on for a birthday podcast. It's, it feels like a party. Oh, nice. Uh, yes. There was was there a birthday scene in Into the Wild? I feel like there was there something is, birthday yes, related. There is. Yes. Uh, yeah. It's uh, the dad's birthday at one point, and mm-hmm. everybody. Yes, nice. real awkward birthday party flashback. Yeah. Oh right, yes. That, oh, that's right, yes. Um, so, and uh, you know, we have like the Venn diagram of podcasting, right? Because Rich and Brennan, you guys have been podcasting Star Wars together on post show recaps. And Rich, you have moved on to the Dark podcasting, which we haven't po- Dark podcasted together, but we've both released podcasts about Dark. Indeed, we have. Uh, it's quite an overlap. I, I I love how much you love Dark. I have listened to some of your guys' coverage. I'm trying oh, not nice. to get intercepted too much, but no, it's been so nice. fun going back to that show and really uh, kind of deep diving it, taking it apart and looking at all the little details as we go with all the context. Like it is the prime show for a rewatch podcast. So oh, that's been a lot of fun. It's that show is just it, there's so much to chew on. I'm very sad that we're not getting another season of 1899 because I think that there was a lot to build off of that first season, but. Mm-hmm. Now, if you haven't watched Dark, but you've listened to three years of this podcast, you've heard me talk about Dark in the past, I'm sure. Yeah. So, I'm just here Dark. to second Zach's opinions about Dark. <laughs> They're all correct. Everything you've heard him say, that's uh, true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. Um, so, uh, Rich, are you an Oscars fan? Do you follow the Academy Award nomination? Oh, my God, you guys. I have a vendetta against the Oscars for the last 23 oh, yeah. years. In the great year, I believe it was 2000, might have been 99, uh, Tom Hanks loses to Castaway for oh, Best nice. Actor, Best Performance to Russell Crowe for Gladiator. And listen, I am the consummate fantasy nerd. I love me some Gladiator. Joaquin Phoenix thumbs up right here. It's happening on the podcast. But I was infuriated that anybody could overlook a performance as incredibly formidable as Tom Hanks playing that guy trapped on the island with the volleyball, remember? <laughs> uh, come on, man. This guy carried the film on his own for like two hours and 15 minutes. How are we going to pass that? So I very probably irrationally kind of hate the Oscars. How about that? Okay. Um, <laughs> you know, you are not going to get any dissension from me talking about how much you love Castaway. And who knows? Maybe we're doing Castaway next week. That would be a very oh, be successor to this movie. Oh, man. So. It could be. It could be. Um, I, I am notoriously a fan of award shows, especially um, award show fantasy pools. I run an Oscar pool every year for a bunch of our friends. Um, really looking forward to that this year, um, especially with this crop of nominations that got released this morning. Uh, a lot of movies I saw this year got nominated. And then a, quite a few movies I didn't see got nominated that I had to quickly add to my letterbox watch list. Yeah. Um, I feel like my Oscars homework, because I'm like Brennan, I'm a, I don't like other award shows, but I do like the Oscars. And I mm-hmm. like having it like set my viewing for these couple weeks in between nominations being announced in the ceremony. Um, and this year, I actually, I felt like I didn't see a lot of 2022 movies, but I actually did a good job doing my pre-Oscars homework. And I don't have a ton of movies I need to watch before the ceremony. There so good job. feel good about that. Um, well, Rich, I won't ask if you have any snubs or anything that you were happy to see nominated. Uh, did you Did you see everything everywhere all at once? 
No, honestly, okay. I've been sitting on it for the last couple of weeks, and I may well sit down with it for my birthday. Uh, I know you're, it's you're gotten like such kind of rave reviews. Mm. I'm really excited to dig into it. I have been bad about going to movies in this last year. Somewhere out there, T Dub is rolling over in his grave. I hope he's actually alive and well. But I he's really, tweeting. He's he's still tweeting. It's his, he is. He's, he's very aggressively tweeting in the season yes. of Avatar. Um, but I have become one of these very bad moviegoers. You guys, like, oh, it's Spider Man. Okay, I will drive to a theater, but if it's not like something that big, I'm pretty bad about going these days. And once upon a time, I really loved like kind of tracking all the films so that I could get irrationally angry about the snubs when Oscar season rolled around every year. And I've been bad for the last couple of years. Like I'm dying to see the Fablemans. There's a ton of stuff that has come out in the last calendar year that I'm just like entirely blind on. So great call pulling a movie from like 15 years ago or whatever to invite me on for a good day. That's, that's <laughs> I mean, you're like, I have seen this one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, I, I will join in the T-Dub hive. And I will say, if you're ever going to get to the theater, I do think Avatar in 3D is a worthy experience and well worth your time and money. I know. I'm dying to go. I know. I know. I'm doing a bad movie goer, you guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, as long as you watch the movie we're covering this week, it'll yes. be okay. <laughs> Good yes. point. <laughs> That's the only Dude. one that really counts. Someday we may have a guest who didn't actually watch the movie, and that's going to be a really interesting podcast, but it is not this day. Well, going back to my my anxiety dream from a couple months ago that I dreamt that uh, Brendan and I had Kevin Mahadeo on to talk about War for the Planet of the Apes, and I just had not watched it. And it was like having that dream where you didn't study for the test, but it was I had the dream where I'm doing the podcast and I didn't watch the movie. I feel so. like you could bullshit your way through War for the Planet of the Apes. Well, so. I did see it once. Uh, okay. Yes, War Errors, War of the Planet, whatever. The one that came out with... Um, yeah, but I, I also wrote that down because Kevin would be a great guest for a Planet of the Apes movie. That's what, what, If we ever do War of the Planet of the Apes, we have to have him on just to make that dream a reality. That yeah, exactly. I am a huge fan of that Planet of the Apes trilogy. It was actually quietly much better than anybody gives it credit for. Exactly. It's very good, like, yeah. ended really strong. And I just mm-hmm. love the idea of you bullshitting your way through Kevin Mahadeo, the teacher, for a podcast. <laughs> Kevin as a teacher is a very fun image for me to imagine. Yes. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, uh, shall we transition into talking about the best thing you watched? Um, Rich, you get to tell us about the best thing you watched in the last week. Although you do have the option as the guest to tell us about the best thing you watched since you were a guest on this podcast. And Ooh. since it's your first time, you could say the best thing you watched ever. Although, you know, if you have something yeah. great that you watched this week, call that. No, out. this is great because I'm really high on something that's very uh, contemporary. It just finished airing a couple of weeks ago. And I rewatched it this weekend again many times. I think Brendan knows what I'm going to say. But I'm going to talk about Willow, the new series. Oh, it's yes. streaming on Disney Plus. Willow, a film by Ron Howard. He's like Round Howard, but Ronner. Uh, <laughs> it came out in like 1986. So this is my childhood fair, a great, like, kind of fantasy adventure. George Lucas is fairy tale to a degree it's huge playing on these themes of uh so much of lucas's work gets affiliated with joseph campbell with the hero's journey and all of that kind of mythology but willow was this real effort to tell kind of a heroine's journey to a degree and the new series is equal parts kind of endearing and irreverent it captures some of the kind of like fourth wall breaking self-aware energy of the witcher while being like just the the exact polar opposite 
opposite of that tonally in this really bright, colorful, vivacious, ridiculous kind of fantasy world. And it was, I knew I would love it because of my affection for the source material, but I am like shocked and blown away by how deeply and unironically I have come to love this television show in the last couple of months. I covered it with my friend Taylor Ball. We had a really good time talking about it on the podcast, but I rewatched it, gentlemen, not once, but twice this weekend. (laughs) I finished watching all eight episodes. It was like, you know what? And I'm a little OCD, clearly. I was like, let's just fire it up again. Why not? (laughs) Um, So Willow, while it ended a couple of weeks ago, it is the best thing I've watched in the last seven days. And tonight on Disney Plus will be a release of the behind the scenes Willow making of documentary. So I'm really excited to dip my toes in that. But um, a sleeper on on the Disney Plus network. It's a great show. I don't think a ton of people are watching it. And if you dig fantasy stuff, you will like this TV show. Very fun. Brendan, I can't remember. Did you watch it? I can second it. It's still deli- it's delightful. I watched it along with Rich and Taylor doing the podcast. And every week the show seemed to get better and better the more that it leaned into its better D instincts. Mm. It was basically like watching a bunch of actors have fun acting out a DD roleplay adventure in like the best way possible. Like mm-hmm. set in this amazing fantasy universe of the Willow universe. And it was just, yeah, it was delightful. It was a lot of fun. I got really invested in the characters more than I ever would have expected and their relationships. Um, Visually, really, like, stunning. Like, better visually than it had any right to be. Um, Yeah, it's a a really fun show. And if you're looking for something fantasy-wise that's low-key, low-stakes, I think it's going to be a lot of I think you would have a lot of fun with Willow. I guess the movie's... The movie connection there is that um, it's kind of born out of the making of Solo and, and John yeah. Kasdan being like the kind of main guy behind that project. He's the showrunner. He got a couple of opportunities to meet with Ron Howard when they kind of pulled him in late to direct that film. And it just birthed itself out of mm-hmm. that a meeting between kind of Lucas and Ron Howard and Kathleen Kennedy. And here's John Kasdan sitting there like, I'm going to shoot my shot. Uh, so it's this real kind of underdog story, even in the making behind the scenes of the show. And gosh, it just captured my heart in a way there's been a lot of good tv this year but this really just like earnestly i fell in love uh in a way i wasn't expecting to so very fun yeah and especially in a year when we had such huge fantasy properties being released in 2022 with your games of thrones and your billion dollar lord of the rings series and your sandman's on netflix's and you know there are all these major fantasy properties that are coming out that are based on IP and under the radar is this quiet, cute little show on Disney Plus called Willow that is just as good, if not as good, if not better than some of the other ones that were released. So yeah. it's it's great. I, uh, I'll just try it. All right. Well, you you guys are convincing me. Maybe I should check this out. I just think that's so much easier for me to do movies than TV because mm-hmm. it's less of a time commitment. And I yep. feel like Willow came out. Brennan and I probably had this discussion ten times on G Chat about Willow Solo. Uh, House of the Dragon, Lord of the Rings, like all coming out, or not solo. Um, Sandman, yeah. Andor. No, Andor, but Andor, also Sandman. Sandman. Yeah. yeah, all coming out like within a two-month span. And it's like, well, how am I supposed to prioritize any of this? There's too much. Just mm-hmm. spread the stuff I, out. I, 
I hate to go back to the pain, but yeah, this is the the plight of 1899 that a show yeah, gets dropped like that yeah. in the midst of this bombardment of kind of uber television on mm-hmm. the bigger networks. And they're like, hey, here's this international show that you got to watch subtitles for and be very kind of fixated on. And, and yeah, you can't, cannot look hard. away for a second because you will be confused if you look away from 1899 yeah. for any it's, second of time. While we are as viewers, I think, in this really fertile landscape and then kind of reaping the rewards of all this television, it is harder than ever, I think, for these shows to um, find able to like plant roots and kind of mm-hmm. cultivate themselves and endear themselves to a following. Like everything is so fleeting and kind of insubstantial and flies past us, which may thematically tie into the journey. <laughs> of a yeah. young man named McCandless. Yeah. Who's just like, I give up. I'm done with yeah. it all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah no, I, and I, I like feel like right now we're in this kind of quiet time when we do have Last of Us, but the, that's it really from big TV mm-hmm. that's going on. And I'm like, can we just stay quiet on TV like this forever? Because I'm like catching up on uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, For All Mankind and Barry and like all these shows that I've been like had on my list. I finally feel like I have some time to like catch my breath and watch these things. So maybe I should add well on that list. Yeah, like I, I caught I caught my breath and watched Fleischman is in Trouble. Which oh, that too. I want to watch. Recommended yeah. for weeks over on uh, Hulu. And like I can't I like it was nice to finally have the time. And I like looked at my, you know, I keep a running document on Google Docs of shows that I finished each year are in progress and are upcoming. And right now, and I was like, well, I could start another show that's in my need to watch bin because I only have two shows that are in progress right now. Mm -hmm. So I can bump up Fleshman is a Trouble and knock that out real quick. And that was actually really, really good. Um, If you're looking for like a drama on Hulu that stars Jesse Eisenberg all about – if you're looking for a 10-episode series that's basically marriage story but drawn out for 10 episodes on Hulu, it's – it, watch Fleischman is a trouble. You will not be disappointed. Um, I really, really liked it. Uh, really great performances. I'll, I'll go ahead and say that's the best thing I watched this week is uh, nice. Fleischman is just a trouble on Hulu. If you're looking for a show to fill the downtime with, uh, as Zach was saying, before some of the other shows that are about to start kick off in a couple Yeah, I feel like we have like a week until. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, it is. it is like we're coming to this like. It's like we have an embarrassment of riches of like, there's too much good stuff to watch, right? It's not like we're like, right. oh, we have to watch all this bad stuff. It's like, oh, there's so much good stuff. I don't have the time for it all. Uh, that's kind I of. I mean, in two months, we're going to have Succession and Mando and, oh my God. you know, 15 other things. I mean, Poker Face is starting in a week, which everybody's is buzzing about. Uh, that's the, Natasha Leone. Yeah, that's yeah. the Natasha Leone show on Peacock. And uh. yeah, it's like. You know, things are going to start ramping up again. But, yeah. It's Natasha Leon, Ryan Johnson, even, isn't it? Yeah, I think oh, that geez. Yeah, it is Ryan Johnson. Yeah, a little glass yeah. knives cameo. Yeah. 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 So this is why I'm just like, I can't do TV. It's just, it's just, it's, yeah. everything. God, there's a lot. Yeah. There's like, a give me, lot. Give me a two or three hour movie, and then I can just be. And the other nice thing about a movie is I know I'm going to get a beginning, a middle, middle, and end, and I'm not going to devote eight hours into 1899, and then I have Netflix just be like, well, no, that's it. I mean, sorry. We did yeah. kind of get an end, but not really. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's uh, all right. Well, uh, for me, best thing I uh, I didn't watch it. I was gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna zag a little bit here with the uh, best thing I, I saw this week. Um, oh, I did I did watch some good oh, stuff. You, you're doing what I did last week, which is yeah. something you saw. And not- it was something I uh, spent many many hours. Speaking of not having time to consume things, I spent like 25 hours on this because it was a book. It was not a movie. Uh, but I powered through this book because it was due back at the library. I did bring it up on the podcast last week, but. I don't know. Apparently, Brendan wasn't paying attention. Megan Librarian wasn't paying attention because they had no idea what I was talking about. <laughs> this is uh, this is the book Project Hail Mary. 
uh, I don't know if you, uh, Rich, if you're familiar with that. Um, I am not. No. Yes. So that is written, and I'm uh, it was written by Andy Weir, and he also he's more famous for writing The Martian, which became the movie The Martian, but it was a book originally. And I think The Martian was released as like a, like almost like a like a series where he released like a chapter at a time over like email or something, and then it was all published as a book. Uh, Mm -hmm. So Project Hilary is his follow up to The Martian. And it's very similar to The Martian. It's about an astronaut out in space all by himself. And he wakes up on an aircraft or a, a spacecraft. And he has no idea how he got there, where he's from, um, or where he's going. And he slowly starts piecing things together. There's like flashbacks involved. Too. It was actually like, as I was watching Into the Wild, like where they have the structure where you see uh, Chris out in Alaska, but then you see him on his journey to get to Alaska. And you kind of like, there's kind of some loose connections you can make between the flashbacks you're seeing and what you're seeing him in the real time mm-hmm. do. Kind of similar what you get in Project Hamary, where these cha- these chapters have flashbacks within them that kind of tie into what's actually going on in the in the A story. Um, and this book, I could not put down. It, it, that does not happen for me very often that I start reading something. I'm just like, I'm like, any, t- any chance I get, I'm reading this. Uh, I read it in two days, like nice. probably a record for me reading a book. And... Um, I cannot recommend it enough. It was so it was so great. I know Jim has read it, and Jim really, as soon as I was reading, it, I was like, I bet you, I bet you, Professor Jim Crumley has read this book, and of course he had, because um, mm-hmm. there's tons of science in it. I mean, it's sure it's not accurate science, but like there's scientific <laughs> reasoning behind everything, just like in The Martian. So uh, very similar to The Martian. When you hear people in the know in the industry actually talking about The Martian, they say that, um, you know, when you hold it side by side with so many of the other space films that we get out there, your gravities and your interstellars, they're like, no, 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 the science actually really holds up. Like Mm -hmm. they did their due diligence here. And this is really like proofable uh, to a degree as much as it is like a theatrical kind of retelling. I had that experience reading The Martian, though, Zach. I mean, I was like just locked in, riveted again. Like I can be very OCD. So when I get into a thing, I can get really into it. I remember sitting there with Andy Weir's Martian, just kind of tearing through it over like two or three days, the Mm -hmm. same kind of way. So I appreciate you flagging this. I definitely put it on my list for sure. And it's it it, like proofable is a great way to describe it. Like, I don't know if the science is accurate, but it's everything is reasoned out where they're like, Mm -hmm. this thing happened because of this. And it's like, okay, I buy that. Like, maybe I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's true or not, but um, it is supposed to be being made into a movie, although. There hasn't been an update on it since 2020, and that mm. actually it was signed into movie rights before the book was even published. Um, That's not surprising. And it's supposed to star Ryan Gosling, and I'm trying to remember who it was that is making it, but the director behind it is. Um, I have to I have to look it up. So, uh, but I did. It, I know yeah, Ryan Gosling I, is, is set to star as the oh oh Lord and Miller are the okay are the directors behind it. Nice. Um, yes. That's cool. And, um, Ryan Gosling is the only star attached to it, although, you know, it is kind of it's sort of like Castaway where it's him by himself. But there are in the flashbacks, there's other characters and things like that. Um, as I was reading it, I was kind of like, I don't know how they're going to turn this into a movie. There's a lot of stuff that seems unfilmable. So I'm very excited to see them attempt to do it. Um, you know, like what I've heard about White Noise and Dune, how it's like, oh, this is an unfilmable property. And they've done that. So, um, yes, that is the best thing I saw this week. And it's not a movie. Nice. Good job. Yes. Approved. Uh, Yes, I did also watch the Fablemans in preparation for the Oscar nominations coming out, um, and Fablemans might come up later. So. Oh boy, <laughs> Fablemans is great. Yeah. yeah, Fablemans is a great movie. All right. Uh, well, speaking of great movies, uh, should we talk about Into the Wild? Should we get into it? Into uh, it? yeah. Um, 2007 best uh 
many, many Oscar nominations directed oh, by Sean nominations. Right. Yeah, nice. uh, starring Emile Hirsch and William Hurt, Hal Holbrook, Marsha Gay Harden, who's actually come up twice on this on this movie yes, ladder. Short um, on this short so year, far, so far in this short yeah. year for four films. Yeah, yes. um, yeah, I, you know, I, I absolutely freaking love this movie. I mean, I'm gonna go ahead and spoil it that. If you look on Letterboxd, you'll see that this is my number one movie for 2007. Yes. Oh, and wow. the last time I logged it was June of this year. Um, last year, I watched it just on a random Friday night last summer when I was feeling a little up in my feelings. And I was like, I just need a good cry. I'm going to watch Into the Wild. <laughs> and it was it was fantastic. Um, I'm, I'm a really big fan of this film the filmmaking the acting the thing about this movie is that you know the entire time that this is a fool's journey this is a fool's errand for the guy that's doing it from the jump like you know that he is just making all the wrong choices in how he wants to leave his life behind and go on this fantastic journey and it's like the preparation involved is so minimal on his part that the very first scene is a guy giving him boots because he he didn't even have the right boots to go into the wilderness. And like I, I love that that's how this movie starts, that that sets the tone and lets you know that this kid wasn't prepared for what he's trying to do here. And I think that, you know, I don't, I don't know how you guys feel, but that like... I called it um, earlier on in the podcast when we were when we were teasing it. It's a noble but foolish pursuit, and I think when you approach the movie from that point of view, you get a lot more out of it. Like this isn't a hero's journey, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. So, and it's funny because you love this movie so much. Um, mm-hmm. I've read the book. I saw the movie first, then I read the book afterwards. Um, Rich, I believe when we asked you about this. You said you had read the book as well right i read the book very early on um for like those who know me i I was kind of born and raised in the suburbs of new york and i moved up into the country when i turned 19 i had a very real way i share a lot of the kind of motivation and the drive behind what what sends this guy into the wild to begin with right i'm like of an age it's the late 90s as i'm graduating high school the book had come out mid 90s i think it was published 96 97 Mm, something like that so i got my hands on it like 2000 2001, 2002, thereabouts, a friend put it in my hands, and it was in one of these I was babysitting for them, actually, is how it happened. It's now all coming flooding back to me, and I was at their house and just kind of picked it up off the coffee table and started reading, and they came home for the night, and I was like, hey, I'm keeping this book. (laughs) I need to finish it. So I became kind of consumed by this kid's journey in a lot of ways. It was such a cautionary tale to me as a 19-year-old guy feeling my kind of hormones and my sense of self and all that radical anti-establishment F the man kind of energy that drove me off into the woods. Uh, so, so when the film rolled out, I didn't even realize it had been long enough that I had kind of like disassociated the title of the book with the kid's story. And when I went to see it, I was like, Oh yeah, I know this quite well. And I've watched it four or five times. It's a film that I love as well, Brendan. Nice. Yeah, I, I remember seeing the movie, and the movie for me came out at the perfect time. It came out in 2007, so I graduated college in 2007. So I'm, you know, the movie takes place earlier. It takes place in the 90s, but mm-hmm. this is the fall right after I graduated from college. And nice. I think 
this was the period of time in between when this came. And I do not remember if I saw this in the theaters or if I saw it you know, on DVD afterwards. But there was for me, there was that period of time until like November um, like or so when I got accepted into AmeriCorps that I was like, what the hell am I going to do with my life? I'm graduated from college. I was like interviewing for a bunch of jobs that were just like paper pusher, like not stuff that I was interested in, not things that were going to give me value. So I feel like this movie came out at a time that was really perfect in my life for this to come out. Uh, and you know, I've always looked back on this movie really fondly. I don't think I've seen it since 2007. Um, but in the meantime, I did read the book. And I do think, like, this is one of those rare movies where the book, the movie, and the soundtrack all work really nicely to, um, like, to kind of, count, like, work together. Like, they cooperate together um, so well. And it's not, like, the book is completely different than the movie, I feel like. And the soundtrack mm -hmm. is, you know, not the movie or the book either but it just like it's a very nice soundtrack you can listen to the soundtrack on its own too and they all they all go really well together and i think that's something i really like about this movie is just like the way it's a piece of the puzzle and not it, I mean, it works as, as its own standalone but it's not the end all be all because the book tells um such a different perspective of this journey i really yeah. love that yeah. take just because i'm sorry brother i, I just because mm -hmm. i spent so much time talking about adaptations over a psr and mm -hmm. it is a distinctly kind of different medium to tell the story and to go to a film but the way that you have eddie vetter roll out and make this whole kind of album right as he right. like yes. scores the whole film he did mm -hmm. i believe they did win an oscar for like best original song or something for uh, and yeah yeah, they're all they, it's a really great point, Zach, that I didn't necessarily like intellectualize until you said it of mm -hmm. how each of them is kind of a different angle of approach into this story that yeah. is like looking at it from a little bit of a different perspective and, and they build on each other in the, like this greater, uh, you know, sum than the parts. Yeah, yeah, so we can talk a little bit about how this film came into development in the first place. So the writer of Into the Wild, John Krakauer, basically was assigned a um, a um assignment by his editors to write a was piece that like New York magazine, right? Or something uh, like that. Uh, for Outdoor Magazine. Outdoor magazine. Because basically there was a skeleton found inside of a bus in rural Alaska in the winter of nineteen ninety-two. And Krakauer became fascinated by this story of this lonely hiker. How did he die? Who was he? Where did he come from? What happened to him? What was his journey? How did he get stuck in this bus? And he ends up writing this 9,000-word 9, article for Outdoor Magazine where he's able to spend months researching the journey of Christopher McCandless and how, you know, from the moment that McCandless graduates Emory University in the spring of 1990 – and basically proceeds to drop off the face of the earth. He burns all of his personal information, donates his life savings that he got as a college graduation present from his parents, $24,000 to charity, takes his beat-up Datsun and starts driving across the country. And that's sort of where our movie picks up. You know, after we see the flash forward to him getting to Alaska, we, we flash back to the beginnings of this story. And Krakauer basically, after, you know, documenting the entire journey of this movie to to into the article for Outdoor Magazine, can't put this can't put the story away. He can't let it go. And so he dives back into it, does more research, gets interviews with all of these different people, 
and discovers the alias of Alexander Supertramp and meets all of these people who claim to have met Alexander Supertramp along his journey. Mm. And that's where the full picture of the book that comes out in 1996 comes from, is Krakauer's obsession with just not being able to let the story of Christopher McCandless go because it's so upsetting, but it's also so intriguing for for Krakauer because if um so not to completely plug in our podcast, but there's a really fantastic interview with Krakauer that came out a year or two ago on the press box pod on the ringer that he gets into all this stuff, like his journey mm-hmm. of how he created, you know, how he created the book and the story and why he still feels attached to it even to this day. Well, it's Krakauer, still yeah. Krakauer released, I know his most famous book is Into Thin Air, which yep. similar title, right? I mean, yep. if we were doing Book Ladder, we would do Into Thin Air next. Yep. Um, and he also did Under the Banner of Heaven as well, which explores yes. the... Which uh, I just church. covered this spring as well. Yeah, I yeah. like oh, all yeah, okay. the stuff he's very fixated on. And he had a similar kind of personal journey, didn't he? Where mm-hmm. he kind of, as he came of age, uh, like disassociated from society a little bit, went up north, went to like kind of prove himself in the great outdoors as it were, right? And this was part of like the hook into this whole story for him. Mm. Interesting. And I do think like, I mean, I'm assuming he grew up in some sort of religious background. Um just because I see that as a theme, just a little bit I know about Under the Banner of Heaven is that it's about the Mormon church. And there are a lot of references to, to Christopher's family being religious mm-hmm. in Into the mm-hmm. Wild. I mean, there's the scene where um, where he's sitting with Hal, Hal Brooks' character uh, with Ron, and they're sitting on that on that mountaintop, you know, talking about God's light. And, and Ron, Ron references having to go to church, and so, I'm, you know, I think he's involved in the church, mm-hmm. too. So, like, there are aspects of just kind of faith and religion in this story as well. And so I I don't know much about Into Thin Air, but I'd be curious if that shows up in that story as well. Well, I mean, he's reaching for these big metaphysical ideas, right? This is part of like the human experience that we disassociate with so much in the modern world where we live in these concrete jungles and our our glass skyscrapers and we're getting in cars and subways to transit every day. And there's so many people Mm -hmm. that live in a space where you do not see trees and grass. You know, there's a whole reason that like go touch grass has become like the (laughs) meme of 2023 here. But we are really disconnected from the basic uh, fundamentals of existence in that we are these like strange hairless apes hurtling through space on this rock, you know, and Krakauer is really interested in the kind of fragility of that and the strength of that and the kind of hope and optimism and in the like search for meaning, right? I mean, mm-hmm. at the very least, that is part of what Alexander Supertramp's journey is about. It's a rejection of the priorities of the modern Western civilization, the modern social construct of like, no, I will not sign my life away to sit in a cubicle. I will go find worth and value in the like base kind of fundamentals of existence. And this uh, connects with God in like really big ways. And the ideas of theology and religion, it is about finding a sense of identity to a degree. Who are we in this world? So many of us like we identify ourselves by our career, by our role in, in a relationship, by our role as a parent or whatever it is, right? But really, like, the sense of self uh, is so tied up in, in these ideas of theology and all these kind of, like, go test yourself against nature kind of stories, right? And yeah. the dude's clearly very, mm-hmm. very interested in that um, as an angle of approach for the stories he wants to tell. 
Yeah, yeah and that's um, what's so great about, like, like when I called it a noble pursuit, like, I mean, that's the thing that, you know, Zach, you hit on this, and I had this feeling as well, you know, as I was nearing the end of my college journey in 99, you know, I'm old. I'm older than Zach by a good bit. <laughs> uh, I graduated college in 2005, and I was like, well, what do I do now? Like, I could just leave it all behind and go hike the Appalachian Trail. That would be dope, you know? But and like, I've had that feeling. Every time I've like, gone to Harper's mm-hmm. Ferry, which is like the epicenter of Appalachian Trail hiking, like there's yep. just like right. stores and stuff. Like I've gone there multiple times and been like, you know what would be cool is to just hike the Appalachian Trail for it's to just stay here and hike. I met a couple of kids in 10th grade who went and did it. I had a handful of friends in the mid-90s during my high school experience that took these kind of journeys, right? I'm going to mm-hmm. go tour with the Grateful Dead. I'm going to hike the Appalachian Trail. I'm moving to Alaska, baby. Like I heard it all from a bunch yep. of my peers at that time, right? Mm-hmm. But it's that yeah. it's the it's the foolish side of like the idea is great, but you have to you have to do your research mm-hmm. before you do these things. That's the thing is like the idea of leaving it all behind and you know trying to live off the land and try to figure out what you want your life to be is all well and good, but there's also a, a, an amount of preparation you have to have to do those things. And unfortunately for Christopher McCandless, he wasn't prepared in any way for the actual journey. He decided to do it as a, let's just see where life takes me. And that's sort of an unfortunate, um, an unfortunate way to go about it. Because well, and the part of this that I kind of identified with, because mm-hmm. I mean, I, I do sometimes have like the, you know, oh, I'm going to hike the Appalachian Trail. I'm going to quit my job and do this. And like, I still, I mean, you know, uh, we've talked a lot about like, you know, that period after college where you're like, what do I do? Or the period after high school. But like, mm-hmm. I still feel like I have like mm-hmm. multiple times, like often that I'm like, what the hell am I doing with my life? Mm-hmm. Maybe I should just like change it up and just do something completely different. I don't know if I want to go necessarily like cut up my social security card and walk through Alaska, <laughs> but like, right. you know, <laughs> just like. And like what he what he tells Ron too, he says, you know, Ron, like he's trying to get Ron to climb the climb the I don't know if it's a mountain or a hill or whatever, like the, the thing that you shouldn't make an old man climb with you. Uh mm-hmm. where he's like <laughs> he's like, do something different with your life. Like try something new. And it is like I do have that that desire sometimes. Of course. And I also have the like, I'm gonna see if I can do this. Like I'm yeah, gonna challenge myself. That. I'm I'm gonna mm. I'm gonna run a marathon and I'm gonna see if I can run a marathon and I'm gonna push myself. And I think like I don't identify as much that Chris was like ill-prepared or dumb. Like he does make mistakes, obviously is to his death, but he's got the book of like what he's supposed to do. He just got himself into like a bad situation and had one slip up. I mean, he does get lucky along. Like he gets lucky a couple times in this movie, but then he does have the, he does have the tragic slip up where he eats the wrong berry. Well, here's the thing is the, the main reason that he gets trapped by the bus is that you see him cross a yes, fairly easy, a fairly easy quote unquote stream in, you know, in the middle of winter while it's still freezing mm-hmm. and it's easy to cross. And then he tries to leave in the summer when the glaciers north of where he is have melted and everything around him is thawed. And what was a tiny stream is now a raging giant river. But and here's it's... the thing is if he had had a map, he would have known that there was a crossing half a mile away from where he was. 
and this is like a whole interesting point that you hear Krakauer talk about a lot, Brendan, but the, the, a lot of people watch this film and they come away from it like, what an absolute blind moron to have gone and done this. But there is a there is a willfulness, there is agency that he has to create those very circumstances that are going to mm-hmm. kill him. He is willfully disregarding the map. Uh, right. I don't know if you guys have ever done anything like this, right? But I think part of what Zach's talking about and that I'm kind of like banging this drum on is there, look, we're like animals were biologically designed to have like certain imperatives and drives right and so much mm. of our life in this very insulated secure society that we have built for ourselves it's better it is easier it is less kind of um merciless and unrelenting than living a more basic life but we rarely get to test ourselves in these true mm. moments in these real like like live or die kind of senses of urgency right where so much of the kind of ptsd reactions and the stress response anxiety like these are manifestations of us being in very unnatural environments, like uh, in sustained ways over the course of our lives. But McCandless actively says, I am not bringing a map. And part of what Krakauer talks about in a lot of the interviews I've heard mm-hmm. is like, this was not a dumb kid. This kid knew right. there there's very little kind of area, if any, on the world in the current age, even in 1992, ages ago, though, that was, that is unmapped. We know where we are, right? 1992, mm-hmm. there was GPS equipment. He didn't have it on his phone in his pocket, but if he had a map to your point, Brad, then he would have seen that 800 yards downstream is a cable that he can cross the river and get back home alive. But I've done this exact thing. Uh, the the New Year's of 2000, the great Y2K disaster is approaching. <laughs> I live in the New York metropolitan region and my friends and I very actively we took no watches we took no clocks we took no Mm. maps and we stumbled blindly into the woods now I did bring a compass because I had read (laughs) this book already (laughs) I had learned like don't eat don't eat the berries with the lateral uh, veins in them right and so but I think like that part of what McCandles is doing here it's not just that he's a dumb kid who gets in over his head he is a young man desperate to find a sense of identity to prove himself who actively disregards the tools that he would have needed to sustain. And to his credit, I was so much harsher on him in my youth, but Mm. he does try to leave. The kid just, he knows when the jig is up, right? He walks down in August and tries to walk out, Brendan, but his lack of preparedness traps him there. And I think part of the great tragedy we overlook is like, he was found 15 days after he died. Two weeks later. Yeah. Yeah. And see, that's the thing is, I'm I don't I'm not I'm not trying to completely bash on Christopher McCandless. It's like I I admire the idea behind what he did and the 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 attitude behind it. Just like there were tiny there were tiny little foolishnesses that he ignored that could have. But and this is the thing that Krakauer also gets into in his original article in, in outdoor magazine, I think it's outdoor. It might be outwear. It's uh, sorry, I don't have it in front of me. It's either yeah, outdoor or outwear magazine. Yeah. But he says basically Christopher McCandless, in a way, committed suicide. Like yeah. he went into the middle of the Alaskan wilderness with very little, with very little percentage that he would be able to make it back out. Outside magazine. He, yeah, he took mm-hmm. away every single thing that would help him be able to come back home right and and i I think and and that's the thing is like and so that that while you know makes it so much more tragic but also like 
you know, just it's it makes it hit home for on a whole nother level. You know, the more you age, the more you sympathize with the idea of him wanting to just be alone and leave it all behind and get it get away from it all and just let life let life let life take whatever course it's gonna take without any outside influences. Yeah, and I I you think know. so there are a couple things on, on what both of you just said. One mm-hmm. is I think that there's um a lot of foreshadowing to these like small mistakes that he makes. And I, I really noticed mm-hmm. it when he's on the kayak the first time. Yeah. And he, oh yeah. Like right. And and it's intentionally so like the rapids are going super fast, which you know, we have these fast rapids, which is gonna yeah. foreshadow the fact that there's gonna be fast rapids that prevent him from being able to leave. But the people are yelling at him like, you idiot, put on a helmet. Like, what are you yeah, doing? Exactly. And and I've been like nothing like that, but I've been rafting where the rapids yep. get really, really ha- ha- uh, hectic like that. And it's like, yeah, if you didn't have that, like you could so easily fall and just make that one mistake where you hit your head and then you're underwater and you're done for. Just like mm-hmm. he makes the one mistake of eating the wrong berry. And it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm done for. Um, so I like, I do think like he's not without making mistakes. And I think like what, what Rich said too about it being some of this is willful. Um mm. And and that that challenging yourself, it's the same thing that like the same reason why I've always wanted to be on Survivor. It's not because I want to be like on TV or because I want to win a million bucks. It's like I'd love to see if I could like challenge myself for not for 29 days, but for 30 for 39 days uh, or 27 days, whatever they do now. Uh, but for the actual amount of time on Survivor and like see if I could do it. Right. Like see if I could actually survive out there or see if I could survive in like the Big Brother house with people like not because I want to be on TV, because like I think it would be like a really interesting and fun challenge to do that. And the challenge aspect of this is what I and, and, and the Amazing Race is another one where it's like I, well, I kind of identify with that too. It's part of the appeal of all those shows that you watch and you say to yourself, "I am stronger, I am smarter, I am fat, I could do right. this better." I right? Make That's fun. part of like the engagement, I think. Always, um, I don't know the whole story of Chris and what he does here. I mean, I think in a very real way, this is a story about the naivety of youth, right? Yeah. How kind of fruitless and fragrantly we kind of treat our lives. It's that story of you know when you when you're young, you feel immortal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think too, Alex is correct. Chris's credit here at the end there's this really powerful moment right where he leaves this note on the bus I've lived a good life um, and this is a little bit of a, a forgiveness a mea culpa to his parents of like mm-hmm. and and it's a little bit of I think a sentiment of hey I did not come up here to die I did not mm-hmm. come up here to commit suicide I did not seek death in this endeavor but very notably he took a lot of self photographs he had a camera with him while he was up mm-hmm. there and along the way in amidst his journal which he documented and certainly informed a lot of what Krakauer wrote. I think it's worth stopping down to acknowledge. Krakauer gets beat up a lot for the conjecture that's here. We cannot Mm -hmm. know what happened to Alex out there, save for what he conveyed to us in these journals, in his writings afterwards. So Krakauer's filling in a lot of blanks with his imagination, which is what a good author does. Um, But rather, the final picture on this camera roll is taken like two days before he starts putting in journal entries, and it's him with that sign. He writes that sign. I have lived a good life. Whoever finds me here and he holds it and he's got this look on his face this this kind of peace and resolution in his eyes of like i get it 
I get it. I see what I have done here. I've realized that I have put myself in over my head and I will now pay the consequences for it. And I don't want anybody to lament after the fact Mm. that they could have done anything differently for me or offered me anything better to prevent this. This is no one's fault but my own and I'm okay with it. I came to test myself and in many ways I succeeded. In many ways I got lucky. Uh, That's such a bullet dodge that this kid who could not swim gets in a kayak and perhaps to Mexico and then like, you know, stumbles his way back across the border to where he's arrested. I mean, like in many ways, it's a story of another time uh, that in the nineties, this was a different animal. Yeah. I mean, they literally have gone and and airlifted the bus out of the outback of the, of the Australian or the Australian, the uh, Alaskan outback up there and put it in a museum because everybody would go out there camping to it. And they had to do something like 25 separate rescues for people going to the bus who got trapped and a lot of people oh, died wow. like trying to reach the bus I like think three people other died, people died. three or four people different different people died trying to reach the bus or get back from reaching the bus yep. like i mean it became like this monument that he never would have wanted it to be yeah i do to, think like um yeah. that picture i'm looking at that picture right now from the outside magazine story um and there's that one, and then there's the picture that they show at the very end where he's he's sitting with this really content. It's a yeah. nice picture. That oh, one yeah. Where he's got like a nice, That's like, one of the early look ones, on his yeah. face. They do yeah. the exact shot with Emile Hirsch. Right? They do, <laughs> yes. Uh, but with this, the picture of him with this, where he's standing, like, Every time I see that, he looks like it, it's a, like a very morbid picture to me. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. And I don't think that's what's intended, but he just looks like a skeleton or a ghost or something. And it's like it's it's hard to look at that. The other one, it's it's not as hard, but mm-hmm. um. Well, this one like just kind of reminds bit. me of how hard this journey was for him. Yeah. So, so we, we haven't talked a whole lot so far about like the movie itself. I mean, no, we're talking yeah, no. about like the we're talking about the journey and like the, the, the book and the and the, the story, but like let's let's start getting into the way that Sean Penn decided to craft his version of this story. Cause I I don't know how you guys feel about the different narration throughout it like i mean first we start we get this narr- over narration from his sister and as she's looking back on her brother's life and her life with her parents and basically recounting their lives the good the good the bad and the ugly and what she thinks chris's journey was all about and what it meant and i i don't know that that is based on actual conversation Sean Penn had with the sister? So I think it is. Or it because is. Okay. Corinne McCandless is the name of his sister, played yep. by Jenna mm-hmm. Malone in the movie, but she is credited with an additional narration credit okay. on the movie. And I didn't and spot means, her voice, yeah. but I do think the fact that she at some point does some narration is like, and they thank the family at the end of the movie. So I do think right. like there is validity that, that, you know, I'm sure there are things stretched for, for movie making, but a lot of it is based in fact. And I think it's like, that's why I say like the in like the word I was looking for earlier is a like companion piece. Like the book, the yeah, movie, and the soundtrack all work as a companion piece with, with each yeah. other. And I think that that's that's where like the book is. I from what I remember, it's been a while, but I think the book is a lot more focused on Chris, and the movie focuses on his his life and um you know the, the domestic problems he had, the problems he had, and like it dives into a little bit more like in the movie of like why would this guy do this? Which I think mm-hmm. is the question most people have. Like if you told if you just set up the situation, you said. Hey, we found this kid. He's a you know wealthy middle class kid, c- college graduate, uh, everything going for him in his life. We found his body in Alaska. 
Like that's all, that's all, you know, I think a lot of people's first question is going to be like, why is like, how did he get there? Why is he there? Right. And this movie gets a little bit more into the why of it. Yeah. And I, I really like the way that it's constructed both with the, the flashback flash forward dual dynamic throughout the movie. Like, and then, you know, we got this last week. This is a connection to Walter Mitty, but we get these flashes throughout the film against the landscape of his journey of the letters of his journals and his letters mm-hmm. written yeah, across the screen in yeah. really in really beautiful text. Like sometimes a little hard to read, to be honest. Yep. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> I but I really appreciated like the way the narrative was constructed for this movie. Yeah. Like I, what, I really like. What it. do you think, Rich, uh, about like kind of the structure of the movie, especially like the way they do the chapters too? Like, what are your mm-hmm. thoughts on on some of that? I love the way Sean Penn uses this like Lostian framing device for the mm-hmm. narrative and the flashbacks, mm-hmm. and I love the chapters as well. It, there's just such a sense of clarity to each part of the movie and what we're supposed to be kind of focusing in on. I think, especially in this most recent rewatch, that stood out to me as this really bold storytelling choice, where I think so much of you know. I, I make my trade it's going through my days running games of Dungeons and Dragons I've run tabletop role-playing games for people and part of that experience is creating immersion right you want to sit down around the table and everybody they believe we're in this weird fantasy world an hour in and I think a lot of films are trying to achieve the same effect right you want to walk into the theater the lights go dark the music sweeps over you and suddenly you are transported to another world right how many times have we heard that phrase but I think with a story like this it really behooves itself to have us i mean we can't help but detach from exactly the question you're talking about zach of like why why did he Mm -hmm. do this right there's this real intellectual question driving us as we go and i love framing it in the chapters of this kid's life leading up into literally the final chapter of his time at the bus which is pointed the jenna malone narration is one of my favorite choices to the film i think i think it shares some dna with um what is it like 127 hours right Uh, (laughs) of like the hike might come up yep that whole scenario but but the way that we're stopping down into very much have this story articulated about alex from the people in his life from the people who loved him uh his sister and his sister talks so much about her own part of of reconciling everything that's happening here of realizing he's abandoning our parents he's in hiding he doesn't want to be seen i may never know what's going to happen to him i am left in this trap that he has managed to abscond from interestingly uh chris had another brother that is not part of the movie at all and not addressed oh, so i right. think mm. that corinne gave Krakauer a ton of information and was a really kind of like vital source in him uh, extracting this story. I saw a really interesting interview with him and Sean Penn talking about how much she kind of gave and how hard it is for the family to put this story out there into the world and mm-hmm. have this kid judged posthumously as a moron, an idiot, a naive right. kid, a, a suicidal have- tendencies, all of the kind of baggage getting projected back towards the family for being crappy exactly. parents, you know, yeah. all of this. That they would, that their behavior, right? You see that you see like the domestic violence scene mm-hmm. between uh, between his father and uh, you know towards his mother, and like you know having that that dirty laundry aired about their family, mm-hmm. and you know that that is hard and i i think like i was writing down the chapter names and i have so i have three written down i don't know if there was a fourth one so i have birth which i love just want to note like i do love the needle drop 
of yes. uh, Big Son, right? As mm. birth comes across the screen and the car is driving out for the last time, he's driving away from home. And it's like, it is his birth of like this adventure of this phase of his life, of the end of his life. And then we have, so we have birth, we have adolescence. Um, I have manhood written down, but I'm not sure if that was, was manhood one of the chapter names? Did you guys know? Or I don't remember. Man. I didn't judge. Either adulthood or manhood. Yeah. yeah. So I have manhood written, so I think that's probably that. And then getting of wisdom was the last mm-hmm. one, which was the mm-hmm. Hal Horbrook chapter. Um, yeah. But the man, the manhood chapter especially, I want to actually, I want to focus in on because I noticed a, throughout that chapter especially, like some themes of capitalism. Mm. Like that was where he's working at Burger King, and there's a sign in the Burger King that says it's okay to waste fries, which I think the sign was about <laughs> like don't serve shitty fries to people, right? Yes. Like throw the fries yes. out. But that stood out to me so much for like, he's going to be starving. And uh-huh. like, just that like the, you know, the Burger King is just like, yeah, whatever, throw out the food. Who cares? We don't need it. Like we can waste the food. And there are like, this is one specific area, but like there are people, I think even like, did he give his money away to like a hunger organization? Like, do we get the theme of hungry a couple times in this movie? Mm-hmm. I uh, Honestly, I was waiting for hunger. Sh- I couldn't remember. I was waiting for hunger strike by Devil with the Dog to come in and <laughs> would be any better, yeah, because 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 it just like it's right there, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, and we do have there's something about canceling Christmas mm-hmm. in this yeah. chapter as well. There's the song called Society. Um, oh, and then also the other thing that I noted for like capitalism, like the evils of capitalism in this is. Uh, this is where Chris gets caught on the train and gets beat up yeah. by the security guard. And what the security guard says is like, not like get off of our train, get off of my train uh, or like anything, like anything about like the train or like what they're, what they're carrying or the good the train is doing. He says, we are not going to let you violate our liability. So like, yep, all he exactly. cares about yep, is the fact that like, we could get sued for you being on here. So you got to right. get out We could get sued if you fall off and get run over by the train. Basically. Yeah, it's it's the yeah, scathing it's a, indictment of the banality of capitalism right? mm-hmm. and, and the whole structure of the system being here to like support that. It's okay to waste fries, right? It's mm-hmm. so antithetical to his entire belief and, and the theme of hunger and the way that he's like doling out this money. It's so willing to like help people to give away what he has to help and really looking for like, again, this fundamental experience of like the, the base, like human interaction, one to one love and God and all of his ideas there. Um, yeah, all of that tracked for me a million percent. Yeah, and this is the same chapter actually. What I have the last thing I written down from this chapter is that this is when he butchers the moose. Yep, mm-hmm. and he butchers the moose, and then I couldn't exactly follow what happened, but somehow he screwed up butchering the moose. So, and the, so and my food got destroyed. Yeah, this is like really pointed. Okay, there's a real you know there's hunting seasons. Oftentimes they're during winter. You don't want to be like taking uh, does when they have fawns, all this kind of stuff. But it's first of all, it's an absolute miracle that this kid was able to kill a moose with a 22 rifle, right? While he's like <laughs> with Vince Vaughn on the old combine farm there. They're just like, dude, you are out of your mind. You're going to bring this 22 up there. But he does, and he's really successful with it for a long time. The fact that he kills the moose is wildly impressive. But he's just ill-equipped, you know, when you go on a hunt like this, you have to think about everything. Where is this animal going to land when I'm done with it? How am I going to port it up out of here? What time is it as I'm about to pull the trigger? Is it going to be dark in 40 minutes that I'm going to be out here in the dark trying to butcher a full moose? And it, again, the height of summer in Alaska, it's a very different world than here um, with like the full daylight and all oh, that, true, but it's yeah. warm. Mm-hmm. And if you are not 
equipped to preserve this meat quickly amongst the many accoutrements of modern life is your refrigerator. And yeah, he tries to smoke this moose, but he doesn't have the correct knife. He doesn't have any of the like infrastructure established, like the operation here. He's got to have the smoker built and ready to go. So the second he drops that mm-hmm. moose, he can start like filleting that meat as thin as possible to preserve. Um, I don't know. I've dealt with a lot of butchering of animals. I was raised as a hunter and a fisher and a kind of farming environment coming up here to the country in New York. And so this one speaks to me because mm-hmm. it's one of these things like you think the hardest part of the job is to find the moose and shoot the moose. But once mm-hmm. you have accomplished that, this job becomes infinitely more complex as you are in the great outdoors with no tools, no infrastructure, and mm-hmm. everything out here wants to take this moose from you. You know, mm-hmm. the fact that he wasn't like killed by a bear, like dragging this moose's carcass up and down the hill, it's a miracle, man. Well, yeah, and, and then, we, there is, mm-hmm. sorry, Brendan, I'll, I no, have to pick you off, but there was, there is foreshadowing earlier because I can't remember who he's talking to, but he is talking to somebody who says like, that's yeah, this is like, yeah, like he's giving him tips about like, all right, you got to work quick when you have the you have less than two hours. At right. Best, I totally forgot know. about that scene. Until I you think it's Zach Galifianakis at Vince Vaughn's farm there. Yeah. He, and he's like, <laughs> the minute a fly touches it, you're effed. Like, oh, yeah. that was Zach. Because yeah. one of my questions was, I said, Zach Galifianakis is listed in the plot and I did not notice him. So, yeah, it's Wayne's buddy that at the at the bar who gives okay. him tips on how to. Yeah. He very aggressively has the brim of his hat down over yeah. his face and is looking at his is. shoes yeah. in every scene. It was like Zach Galifianakis. They were doing everything possible to make it impossible for us to realize that was Zach Galifianakis until the final scene that he's in where he like looks up and you're like, oh, my God, Zach Galifianakis. Yeah. Yeah. OK. Yeah. Because I'm looking at um, I'm like looking at pictures right now from from that scene. And I guess I can tell it's him now, but. It's rough. Uh, yeah. 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 Basically, he says, like, you know, at at best, you're going to have two hours. Like, but the moment a fly touches it, mm-hmm. even if you have it in the smoker thing, like, you're done. You, right. you got to okay. throw it all out. Like, because right. so yeah, so the, the first time a fly scene. shits on it, it's going to, the maggots are going to start coming. Oh, so, yeah. Um, I will say, uh, as somebody who doesn't eat meat anymore, the scenes where he's cooking the squirrels and it's just like an entire squirrel carcass. I was like, mm-hmm. mm, yep, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm good. good. That, You're pretty that, comfortable you're good. You're that good. in your life. Huh? Um, yes. Uh, all right. Let's see. What else do, uh, so, um, you know, we do have like, you know, we do have like these people he meets along the way, right? He meets the Vince Vaughn, uh, wheat farmer mm-hmm. who's arrested for something. I mean, you assume like some sort of conspiracy Theories, something like this guy would have been storming the Capitol on January 6th, it seems like. No, uh, apparently he was like selling off market cable boxes because they oh, said really? that it okay. was about his black boxes. Because mm-hmm. he says, like, at one point he has these satellite TV boxes and he's got to be careful with them. Uh, and so he's he apparently was selling off market. Satellite TV boxes. Basically. Ah, I think it's a like little top- delightful topical humor of the mid nineties. Yeah. You know yeah. I mean? yeah, exactly. Like, talk, like, about like, a, talk, talk about a talk about a time capsule. Cable, cable boxes. boxes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like but that's a Disney that's Channel another, HBO for free. Yeah, that's another instance of like the capitalism of that era seeping into it, and like the the commercialization of all things, where you know you can't like you can't watch TV without paying a cable subscription and. Mm-hmm. You know, that sort well, of thing. And, like it's, and, you know, another thing that we get from that time is we do get the shot of George H.W. Bush, like the TV shot of him. And I think right. he's announcing Desert Storm because right. um, he's saying, like, we cannot we cannot wait any longer. 
to take action. Yeah, Desert Storm started in ninety, so I think this was Yeah, so I think that that's probably you know, yeah. I don't know, you know, again, like this is this is where you could do some you can stretch some things with the timing of a right. movie versus For sure. um so um yeah the it, the one thing uh to to go back to the South Dakota thing is like so we get all of this time spent with him where he's hiking the Pacific Coast Trail and going to LA and he meets the um hippie people for the first time. Yeah Jan and, and Rainey. And then he somehow gets from the Pacific Coast Trail to we smash cut to him working at the farm in South Dakota. And it it all has always struck me odd that there's this missing gap in the narrative that they never explain of how he went from the Pacific Coast Trail to land in South Dakota. And so there's like this whole there's but we a do around this time see him riding the trains, right? Um, that's true that's true so i do wonder there's a if, little bit of a gap if he yeah. just took the train up from from the southern part of the united from states wherever to South was. Dakota. yeah okay yeah um yeah did you rich did you have a favorite like character he meets along the way um in this movie yeah there's a bunch that i love so i love uh i forget the guy's name but the old man at the end because he's so mm -hmm. oh, kind yeah. of endeared and the, and the real like emotional weight of that maybe you can be my son i mean you said it when we started uh, zach but uh we'll, we'll talk about it when we get back from alaska like that's really powerful but i think that in the film he he was the character that stood out to me the most from the book because he really equips alex with the bare essentials that this kid just was not even planning on breaking with them but True, like, here yeah. is my old camping gear from the 70s you know what I mean like please take it with you I think that's even where he gets the 22 rifle in the book and all of this so that guy like is gives him everything that he yeah, actually the fishing is net successful. that we see too. yeah and we see him early like carrying all that when he first meet Alex and or uh Chris in the movie right he's carrying all of this stuff and I think like again like if you're like okay he's in this situation like how did he get all of like how yeah, did he get this like up fishing this net right pack. yeah yep. um yeah, and that, and that that character that character Ron is played by we mentioned earlier is Hal Halbrick, um, whose character actors and a lot of stuff. Yeah. But he was one of the nominees. He was nominated for best supporting actor. Speaking he, of the Oscar he was nomination, tremendous. But I think yeah. that the film really who stands out is the the Catherine Keener performance, right? Um, yeah, of like meeting those two hippies and everything that connects there. When the whole like to be fair, you look like you're a loved kid. You know what I mean? Yeah. All of that. Cool. She just does such a great job um, giving you a lot with very little right when we're looking at like how much dialogue she has and the actual like line reads like there's not a ton there but she conveys an incredible amount of emotional weight and she's the through line for us to really understand this question that you asked that why why does this kid do this right he mm -hmm. she um creates this kind of impetus for us to begin to understand more of the baggage that this kid's got with his parents with this family the rejection of all of these social values that he just sees as anathema to to the fundamentals of living and that was a really powerful connection uh yeah, yeah i also i i love that what's her name here kirsten stewart shows up as like the underage girlfriend for yeah, a yeah, couple yeah. Of weeks like it's a very fun role is this pre i'm assuming this is pre-twilight this is pre-twilight pre yeah. yeah this yeah. is like eight months before twilight drops and so she has okay. not exploded yet but mm -hmm. i so forgot she was in this but i think the Catherine keener role is like the people he meets along the way is the one that i'm most emotionally invested yeah. yeah, Catherine Keener uh, stands out as uh, Jan Burris for me as well. Um, there's something about her performance, especially the second time that they meet up, mm -hmm. that is just so heartbreaking because she 
wants so hard to tell him, like, just flat out, don't go. Stay. Just, just you don't have to do this. Just stay and hang out, and it'll be awesome. And, you know, let it, the same thing that the Ron character says later on, like, let me adopt you. Because I already lost a son. You remind me so much of him. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't want to lose you, too. You know, but she can't even find the words because she knows that that, like, could just, like, that won't mean anything. And that's the most heartbreaking thing is, like, she could say a ton of things to him to try to get him to stay. But the most heartbreaking thing is she knows in her heart of hearts that there's nothing she can say. And I think she just says that at some point, right? She says, like, like, I can't, yeah. And I think, like, this, the joy that she has when he shows back up the second yeah. time too um like it is like you it, like you these are these people you meet along the way and you never think you're mm. gonna have an interact you know you yep. never think you're gonna see this person again especially like she probably thought he's either like kids just gonna end up dying right yep. out here or i'm never gonna see him again and the fact that he somehow was able to find them and i'm am like how were they able to find him? You know, how I'm well, sure they, they told him where they were going to be they in were like spring the spring or whatever. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. You'll that's love right. it there. You'll love yeah. it there. So he kind of knows where he's going. But there's something so authentic about that moment of the like reunion, but also the relief to your point, Zach, that she's like, oh my God, you are not dead. And you're yeah. here right in front of me. Like the double whammy of that. The whole final line she has with them is like, don't even hug me. I won't be able to handle it. Like you yeah. just got to get off the bus right here. It's yeah. this element of like, God. God, like ships in the night, you know, like right, she's got yes. this kid that rejected her and he's got these parents that he's got such like kind of like angst Thank towards. You. But in one instance, she's like, God, I am a much worse parent than your parents would have been, even though like you would have been a much more successful child for me. You know, mm-hmm. if they were matched up a little differently, would it all have worked out? Well, there's such like, uh, you know, like it's sense of loss and, and yeah. frustration mm-hmm. to these things, like being so close to fitting perfectly and then not quite you know yeah mm-hmm. yeah and i think too like the the way that chris is able in this movie to bring two different sets of couples that have kind of fallen out of love yes. with each other together mm-hmm. right yeah. both in in the jan and rainy right like they have that night that they and this is when he leaves right because they, yeah they have the night where they he hears them in the tent together and then the next morning he's gone i believe yep. right um yeah or he he leaves right after that and then um, you know, his parents too, that we are, we do get, we haven't talked too much about his home life besides his sister, but like, you know, he has these parents who, um, you know, like these, they follow this like very set path. They want to buy him a new car when he graduates. And then, you know, he just rejects all of that. And then the times that we cut back to them where they're like, it's especially heartbreaking. Like I, I think of the scene where his mom is walking into the grocery store and she just has to turn around. Cause she's like, yeah. it's just like some random thing triggered and like set it off where like, when you are going through that loss, it doesn't, it's not just all the time. There's things where it just like comes in waves or like his dad, where his dad mm-hmm. is just out walking and just like breaks down. But then Corinne talks about how the parents are actually getting closer together because mm-hmm. they have this shared loss that like they've, they have, you know, they, they had been torn apart so much by like what had happened with their family. And like the kids, you know, they found out the kids were like, the, the kids tra- were trauma, trauma brings people together. Right. The, the trauma <laughs> brings them together. So like yeah. <laughs> Chris's impact on them, like that it does he, there are two different sets of couples that he's able to like 
give this to by mm. this the sacrifice sacrifice isn't the right word but like this this decision that he makes to it's it's a huge theme disappear. throughout the movie the way that he plays like uh there's this trope of like the manic pixie dream girl right in films mm-hmm. that especially became popular as the late 90s and chris is like an inversion of that where every everybody that he interacts with it's like this fairy dust is wafting off of them right, right? except for vince vaughn who gets locked up in right, jail right, right. but all these other people as he comes to them he reinvigorates the this hope, this appetite for yep. life, this like, love inside of them. He wakes up something. He gets them to acknowledge this repressed truth that they are living with on a daily basis. And he's got this, um, especially through the recounting of the film, right? I think this is the mm-hmm. fundamental theme that I walked away from is that he has this like unrelenting positive impact on every person that he crashes right. into as he is like hurtling towards his own, uh, you know, death uh, far right. too soon. And he's that is even down the to the lady who's uh, even down to the lady who's running the homeless shelter. Yeah, in Los real. Angeles, like he spends five minutes with her, and she's like willing to give him whatever he needs, and like is really upset when he's ready to leave. After and being I, there I did for five wonder minutes. about like that it's, actually. It's that's an interesting thing because like there are you know he meets the he meets the hikers right where he's mm-hmm. like the, they're the nudists or whatever they end up yeah in the, the nudist people yes, at the end right that. yeah and like I do think you know, this challenge, right? I'm going to survive on my own. Well, like part of surviving on your own is like that he's able to just like have this personality that like people will give him food because they like him, right? That he like doesn't have to always hunt using his survival skills for food, but he can use his people skills to like, these people gave him a hot dog because he was nice to them. And like this family gave, you know, that that Ron gave him shelter because he because he cared for him and he was, you know, he he was able to connect with him. And I do think like, He's surviving without a credit card, right? And without right. cash, but he's using just his own both mental and physical abilities to do these things. Yeah, and that's the thing that I that is the ultimate lesson of this movie for me at the end of the day is nobody gets through this world alone. That's something we talked about. Well, and that's a lot, what he comes to, you know, right? That yeah. at the end of the movie, he so, says, like, what yeah. I've learned from this, one of the last things he realizes, and it takes him like on the deathbed to be like, exactly. oh, I want to share happiness with like I have happiness, I found happiness, but what is happiness I'm is ready to share it. Share it. Yeah. And exactly. that stuck out to me too. Cause like I do think about like it's even in our like connected internet age, right? Like it's like like Brennan, if I see something like that makes me happy or funny, like what is the first thing I do? You're just chatting like, it to me. Like, I send yeah. it to you and I say, Oh yeah. my god, look at this funny, like look at this thing, right? Like yeah, exactly. there is like it's no fun to experience happiness all by yourself. Exactly. Nobody nobody gets through this world alone. And that's like that's always been a big thing for me as someone who lives by himself and mm-hmm. doesn't Same. have a lot of day-to-day connections outside of the people I talk to at work or through Gchat or podcasts like this, like that doesn't make those relationships any less valuable because nobody gets through this world alone. Like if I didn't have those things, then I wouldn't have, I'd be a much more miserable person. Right. That's why I could never, that's why I could never burn my cell phone and throw away my car keys. Cause it's like, well, those things are like the things that keep me grounded and connected to people. Um, and like I like getting into the woods, you know. I went for a, I went for a walk in the woods before we started mm-hmm. podcasting. Like I do love like getting outside. There's something nice about it, but like I also like like the things. Like there's a lot of other things in my life that like Christopher Candlelist would not have been into because it's like oh you're gonna sit and watch like 
eight hours of this movie. Like, <laughs> um, this is part of the reason that I find the story to be an um, uplifting one and not just a tragic one in the end, because I think that part of the other half, I mean, I keep talking so much about this test yourself, this go prove yourself. I mean, it's very much a coming of age story in a way. Krakauer talks a lot about uh, the kind of multicultural universality of like becoming an adult, right? The bomb mitzvah, for the bar mitzvah, whatever it is, the like, you're going to go kill a lion and in mm. uh, Africa as a young child, whatever it is, this, this kind of transition. But, um, at the end, he has this realization that happiness is nothing if not shared, right? Mm-hmm. And this feels to me like one of these fundamental truths to the universe, right? Part of this kind of quest, this testing yourself, it's about unlocking truth, unlocking the actual value. What is the meaning of life? Like, well, it might not be the same for you as for me, but if you push yourself hard enough, you'll come to some realizations about what's really important to you. Which I and, think is what he's he's searching for and like what, you know, it like is. we talk about like people being on Survivor, mm-hmm. it's like, it's like it's a really good example of like these people who are on Survivor, like that day 39 breakfast they talk about it probably because like it's a sense of accomplishment also like a sense of like what did i learn over these 39 days not just like how mm-hmm. to you know how to win challenges and how to vote people up but like what did i learn about myself what did i learn about like, society and life like i don't know if everybody takes that away but i do think a lot of people who have experiences like that do take away this like okay like i got stripped down to like my bare core and like mm-hmm. what 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 is it like what are, what are these like things that i found right what what, are the, what were my like my big takeaways from that and that's why at the end percent. of the day a game like survivor is a social game mm-hmm. Uh, a million percent. I think it's like, you know, it's part of the trouble with shows like that is you get to the end and you have people that have just lived 39 days of their life, unlike any other they've ever had. And right. they're having this whole personal kind of affirmation of self that they're trying to articulate for the 43 minute mm-hmm. episode. And we're like, who cares? Who are you voting for? Right. Um, right. <laughs> my, my whole big like point here is that McCandles like unlocks this piece of like kind of primordial truth about reality that life is kind of meaningless, if not shared. Mm-hmm. And he dies for it. Right. Right? He dies having made this realization. He never gets to like actualize on this revelation. He never gets to take that forward and do anything with it. And part of where I talk about it, it's a cautionary tale for me, but it's also a, a lesson of like profound wisdom of like, hey, dumb 22-year-old kid, you may want to cut yourself off completely from these social um, you know, boundaries that are confining you. You may want to push back against all of this and isolate yourself and boil it down to basics, but you will get very lonely, very quickly and mm-hmm. your life will be a small and hollow thing lived in the darkness alone there is no celebration just this weekend i had a whole thing of like these deer showed up in my backyard there was an owl on a tree stump the deer danced around the owl and i'm like freaking out having this very fundamental interaction with nature and what did i do i took pictures of it on my phone to send mm-hmm. to my friends to be like yeah, look yeah, to how cool it. this experience <laughs> is i want to like share this with but that you. doesn't diminish just because yep. you use technology and actually like real quick Agreed. one yes. thing that you were talking about some of this and there's a documentary that i watched this week for the library ladder challenge and i'm going to butcher the name but it's koyan eskowski uh uh koyan i can't do it but (laughs) koi search koi aan uh and it's like there's a it's a narration free documentary of like it's just like society it's in 1982 and like it's just like it's just like uh time-lapse footage of like nature and society and like modern society like it starts off like 2001 where it's just like nature but then all of a sudden you're seeing like parts of society and i think it is like a really like, speaking of companion piece it's another like really good companion piece with like this movie and what we've talked about on this podcast too and like just like there's a lot of like footage where you could just be like ants marching type footage mm-hmm. of people um so i do think like 
that I, I rich you were talking about some stuff earlier that reminded me of that of that movie that i watched this weekend so i wanted to shout that out um the other thing i want to shout out is the way that we're talking about like the, what chris finds is that he's like i found this i found this and i want to share this and i do think the book and the movie are ultimately sharing what he found I so agree. he doesn't like it's like in in death he doesn't realize it because he's gone but his story ended up being shared way wider than it could have been any oh, other for way sure. Yep. And so now people know this lesson and know that he's and so he was able to like in a way share this happiness through this movie and the book existing. That's a great point. Sounds yeah, good. a million percent, right? I mean, the loss of this poor kid's life. That's what I mean when I'm saying it's uplifting that fundamentally this lesson that he sacrificed everything to intellectualize for himself is shared with all of us, right? Through the tragedy and through the recounting of his story. Um, we've been like super positive. I think it's a really good film. I structurally kind of love what mm-hmm. they're doing. I think that most of Eddie Vedder's music is really working for me. There are a couple most, that are not mm-hmm. as strong as the others, but I want to throw a dart, my friends, because mm-hmm. I think that along the way, there are a couple of really exceptional montages and then there are some that i'm like buddy this is a, this is a like 150 minute runtime i do not need a yes. four and a half minute montage right here of mm-hmm. this idiot like bumbling his way down the river can we speed it up at all sean uh yeah, put on that like, time lapse from it's, it's, this like, really hit me on this rewatch where i was like feeling the like we are lingering a little too long and too artistically on some of these like non-substantive scenes of transitions yeah. right they're like fun transitions but i'm like dude Whoa, okay. I definitely yeah. found myself checking my watch, uh, my <laughs> metaphorical watch at, yeah. on this podcast, especially because, like, it was like I always watch this the night before the podcast. And, you know, a lot of times I have time, like, on a Monday where I can, like, watch the movie for the podcast, but then, like, watch a couple other things. And it was like, this mm-hmm. took up, like, my whole, it's only a two and a half hour movie, but it is, like, it's a dense two and a half hours. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And it's a lot. So I, I do think it dragged for me. And I, I, yeah, we've been very positive. And I think it's, like, been fun to talk about, like, the overall stuff from this movie, but, like, I, I actually moved this movie down a little bit on my two, best of 2007 list um, on this rewatch. I think it's really good, but I think it like there's some stuff that it's just like it's not exquisite for me. Um, but I do think, yeah, I do think the runtime is definitely something I noticed this time. Yeah, I think I think the Emil Hirsch performance is really fantastic, but frustrating also <laughs> because like the whole time, like, and I mean, I think this is part of the performance. The whole time you're like. Yeah, but you're way too, like, smart to be doing this. Like, I mean, you know what I mean? Like, it's in the performance. Well, like, and some of it is just, per- like, like he's, like, like it, it is in the performance. Like, I, I think about the time where he's, like, it's yeah, man, like, society. Like, he gets, like, Yeah, exactly. Off, like, like, just, like, he doesn't know what else to say. It's Right, like, yeah, he's just, you know, saying, society. Like, he's just, like, saying empty words of, like, why are you yeah. out on this? It's, like, oh, because of society, man. And I do get, like, you're 22. You don't know how to put into, like, what your frustrations yeah. are with the world. And, like, with the expectations putting in, because I do think, like, you know, for a kid that grew up, like, I, I feel like I probably grew up, like, not exactly, you know, I don't have the same, like, home life stuff, but it's, like, with those expectations where it's, okay, you're going to go to school, and then when you finish high school, like, and we talked about this last year on another podcast that will come up later, uh, you know, the expectation is, like, you, you, you're done with school, okay, where are you going to college, okay, you're done with college, where are you going to work, right. like, right, right, right you're going to, and then you're going to have your family and then you're going to retire once you're older and then you're going to die. And it's like, you just are going to live this like templated life. And I think Chris like found a number of times in his life that he did not want to do that. And that's mm-hmm. what put him on this journey. And like the, like, Oh, you're graduated from college. We will buy you a new car now. Like what, you know, what kind of car are we going to buy you? Like that, like 
it's just another step along the way and everything is some sort of material like that, you know, to him becomes not what he cares about. Yeah. And I, I agree with you. And I also think that like a lot of that could have been shorthanded a little better as well. Like, I mean, I think that's where you're getting with it being feeling a little drawn out at places is like, mm -hmm. we, we spend a lot of time stopping down in some of these places that I think that we didn't necessarily. I think the do. Vince Vaughn segment, especially it, yeah. like all, all of that stuff on the farm. I don't know what he really, I mean, I know there's like, I, I did just find some images and I do see it's Zach Galifianakis, right? And I do yeah. guess like that's where he gets the lesson about like, you got to preserve the meat or it's going to go bad. Like yeah. there are things along the way, but like, I think we're it's, like 20 minutes in South Dakota. And, yeah. Uh, and then yeah. we have also, I think that the, the second time he meets up with Rainy and Jan is really drawn out. Like I was fe really feeling the length of him spending that time in Arizona this time. And I, I don't remember feeling that way before, but everything with the Kristen Stewart character, it, it was just like frustratingly slow paced and not Do you necessary. think she's supposed to, do you think they cast her because she looks like his sister? Like, do you think it was supposed to be an analog for his sister? I, know, she looks I wonder like about that. I think that she was yeah. like a breakout star at the point, but that's really fascinating because there is a resemblance there. Mm -hmm. I really found that return to the slabs there the second time where he's hanging out with them, Brendan, much longer. Yeah. But I actually took more from it this time, whereas in previous yeah. watchings, I think I was a little bit like, can we be done here, Eddie? Can we move right. on? But I think it's a great, like, uh, just structurally within the context of just the movie as a story, right? right? We're talking a lot about, like, additional information, the interviews, the book, the this and that. But if you're just watching the film by itself for the first time, I think it's a great um, just like shot in the arm to the audience of like we never really like we we hear about all these things that he's rejecting from his family life. He's mm -hmm. not going to go to college. He's not going to get the new car. But now we're going to see it in front of him. Here is this life that kind of fits his needs. He is not like yeah. in the cubicle with with this clip on tie every day. He's kind of like falling in love with somebody. He's got like this emotional investment. He's got these parent figures that are super cool and dialed in with them there's a community around them it's great and he's actively rejecting all of this yeah. to go pursue the dream and it hurts kind of that much more as we push forward on it yeah. but well and I what's think, interesting too is yeah. mm -hmm. is sorry i should cut you off but what i just realized too is is we're talking about like the Kristen stewart character and there is a romance between them but he can't pursue it because right. of society's limitations that oh. is like you're 22 and she's 16 you yep. can't you can't pursue just like you can't go down that river because you don't have a permit. And the next permit is in like 2022, right? Like, <laughs> or whatever. Like, um, and so I do think like there's times and, you know, maybe this is to add to that frustration where it's like, yeah, but like you're not part of society, but like there's still like rules within society that you have to abide by. Yeah. I think you're also closer though that she is the same age as his sister. And so mm -hmm. I think that that hits for him. Yeah, definitely. Uh, like Kristen yeah. Stewart, this this was she was had been in. So I forgot she was in Panic Room. She was the little oh, yeah, in Panic right. Room. Yeah, yeah. Um, and she's in. Uh, apparently, she's in Flintstones Viva Rock Vegas, which I never saw. Uh, <laughs> also in Zarthura, um, which I Ooh. remember like when that came out. But I don't. It's, it's like some some space uh, Odyssey. That out. But yeah. then yeah, but then she's in Into the Wild, and then the next year is the first Twilight video. Uh, oh, wow. first Twilight Wild. Video. Yeah, I had that same like uh, IMDb rediscovery of like, wait, was this before Twilight? Was this yeah, after yeah. Twilight? I totally forgot that she's in here. Well, oh such a gosh. fun. This is such a funny movie to look at, having not seen it since 2007. I'm like, wait a second, Vince Vaughn is in that movie and Zach Galifianakis and like, it's quite yeah, a, it's a weird. Uh, yeah, it's a, stars. Yeah, right. there's some heavy hitters in here.
Mm-hmm. And I and I feel like people forget Sean Penn made this too. And they're like, oh wait, Sean Penn, uh, actor director, yeah. you're a writer director for this movie. Um, yeah, go ahead, Brenda. And we didn't even mention we haven't even mentioned that William Hurt plays his dad. Yes, like uh, Oscar yeah. Oscar winning serious actor William Hurt plays Chris's dad throughout this movie. Yeah, I mean, William Hurt, who we just we lost almost exactly a year ago. Yeah, almost exactly. Yeah, a year. Yeah. I um, saw him at an airport once in Newark, and I was like, "Oh my God, it's William Hurt!" And nobody was with me at any clue who he was. And I was like, "You people are incorrigible." Um, I I I was surprised, especially going back and realizing, "Gosh, this is a 15 year old movie now." Uh, I expected yeah. Emil Hirsch to like blow up a little bit more coming out of yeah. it. I know Sean Penn was like so effusive in his praise of like he's the best new actor of this generation. He's going to make his yeah. mark. I was really um kind of surprised, like thinking back to like what have I seen Emil Hirsch in since this yeah and I Sean, forget, Penn, yeah. Sean Penn even casts him in his next film that he makes after this which like, may come no. up to connections but you know um, I, I always forget that Emil Hirsch is not the guy who played John Connor the kid who played John Connor right. in <laughs> I always get the <laughs> yeah, 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 that's his name yep um, yeah. yeah no I think that's, that's good uh, I mean I hate to end on that like because I think I we should get to feedback shortly but I, I hate, think we should I hate to get on to end on this but I do think like the death scene is a very interesting scene, especially for a director who hasn't made a lot of movies to be like, this is how he's going to film the death. Uh, did you guys have any thoughts on the, that death scene in general and just like the way that that's presented? Rich, I'll let you start. I kind of loved it. I think that I've had different mm-hmm. reactions where I watch it, you know, to steal a wigglerism. Like, I think that these stories, they find you where you are to a degree. And I was mm-hmm. very much like watching as I think in the past, I've probably been a little bit more critical of it of like, oh, my God, the artsy fartsy, like the yeah. cinematography of the whole thing is he's laying down in the bed and the window pulling it up. But it, God, it's so powerful. And the kid, to your point, Zach, like Emil Hirsch really looks so emaciated. I mean, he looks like a Holocaust survivor at this point as he's talking himself down in the bed and leans back and the camera pitches up in the kind of blue sky. Like, I think it works. I think it fulfills the kind of like thematic, the visual storytelling that we've gotten along the way so far. And it is just this quiet kind of euphoria that washes over him and leaves us in this really uncomfortable position of like, wait, what? This is it? And and it's hard to end on that. But I think it's a hard story. uh, So it works. Yeah, especially, like, that final death rattle breath that you get. Like, where it's just a sharp intake of, like, breath, and then it's done. And it's over, and there's nothing more. And so I I often wonder, like, like how people reacted to this movie if they knew nothing about Christopher McCandless. I didn't when I saw this movie. If they knew nothing about this story, and it's like... You keep like waiting. You're probably sitting there in the last 20 minutes waiting for somebody to just stumble upon this kid and help him. Yeah, Where's the helicopter? I remember how I felt then, in 2007. Like how yeah. when I saw this, if I knew how this movie ended, because I just cannot, mm. I cannot even remember if I saw it in the theater or, or on DVD. But I think that death scene has always stuck with me as being like a really gruesome scene that like I put up there with like the movie The Machinist, like where he's oh, really yeah. skinny, he's really pale. Yeah. Right. And he's I mean, I think like the makeup and everything, like it looks I think it looks really good. Um, and then we get those sound effects where you could hear. And if you've ever had like like an anxiety attack or something where you can hear your heart pounding in your body, mm-hmm. like there's that same sound where you can hear it's just like this faint like and you hear his heart and it's going slower and slower. But it's so what heavy and so hard as it's hitting. Um, 
so I thought that was good. And I think like we get the call back to the sunshine, right? The sunshine coming in through the through the window. And I hope that we can talk a little bit more about how uh, Ron's character, like maybe in feedback, I'm hoping we get something that can, because I'd love, I don't think we talked about him enough, but we needed to move to feedback. Um, the thing I noticed too, is that then the camera zooms out the last shot, right? Is like through the window and it's almost like a, um, you know, like a coffin. Like you're looking at somebody mm. oh, through yeah. like the, you know, like through the glass on the coffin. Um, it reminded me so much of that. And I feel like that, like, I like that touch, but it felt a little amateur, like, okay, we get it. He's dead. And we're going to show that like the bus is his coffin. Like, it's like, yeah, mm. yeah. I feel like it was a little on the nose, but, um, it was, you know, it was, I, and I like that he's thinking about the sunshine too, that he's, he's saying like, uh, is my family looking up at the same sunshine? I am right. The, the, like this nature is still connecting us, even at the verge of death. Like mm. my family might be looking up at the sky at the same moment I am. And, um, it does make me sad when he imagines like that, like going home and hugging his parents. Yeah. Because if you've ever been homesick and you're just like, oh, yeah. all I want to do is just like get home. And even it's, it's not possible. When you have the fraught relationship with your parents, there is still that like need for approval, for comfort to have a home. Mm. And when you're in like that disjointed of a of a kind of place to deal with it, um, I don't know. For me, it always was so personal. The whole bus, it's 142. That's the house number of the house I grew up on. Mm. So I always like very weirdly, like emotionally intellectualized with with everything that we're kind of getting at the end there. But I feel like it's a pretty formidable ending to the whole thing, you know, as we pull out and look down on him. I think the other part of it that really struck me to keep like banging this drum that I'm talking about. It is a beautiful, sunny summer day. The sky is blue. This is not like the wilderness survival story where he's out like the nightmare blizzard buried by snow in the middle of the dark and like the horrible, dark, frightening Alaska. It is a beautiful, picturesque, magnificent day as he lays and starves to death in there. And there's a little bit of that like, look, nature is an unrelenting bitch, my friends. You know, she cares not what, what like you feel about the day if you're not like prepared like she'll take you you know yeah um, he's not in the geo storm he's in a nice day and he still can't survive right yeah, really. yeah. The um, all right why don't we get to feedback and i'm sure other Same. things will get pulled up um as we're talking through what people have sent in uh so of course this is stuff that was sent in to us on twitter and over email brendan compiled it uh so we start off with alex O, and he says it's a really interesting story and strong acting performances carry this film a long way uh but it really dragged for me in the first half i think it was tightened up uh, i think it, if it was tightened up to less than two hours it would have been substantially better since the last half was where i found myself most engaged in fact i would love to cut uh, to see a cut of this movie without as much or any of the mccandless family i get Ooh. that they're trying to show his reasons for why he had uh, such disgust for settling down and for society in general, but I'm not sure it truly needed. Uh, I'm not sure it truly needed that, especially since it is alluded to by Alex and Chris, Alex slash Chris, and the characters he met along the way. And the general and voiceovers were bland and didn't work for me. I assume these are the words of his actual real life sister from the book, so maybe uh, they had to be included in some way. I would have preferred without though. Uh, but seeing Catherine Keener and Hal Holbrook and anything is always fun. And Emil Hirsch was great. And the quick Zach Galifianakis cameo was unexpected. I'm glad he noticed Zach Galifianakis. Uh, so 3.5 out of 5 for Alex. Yeah, I would I would recommend to Alex that he definitely read the book because that is much more. You haven't read the book. How are you, you suggesting know, the, the book without reading the book? Because I looked at the book and I also read I, I have Wikipedia in front of me. Shut up. <laughs> you should. I'm just saying you should read the book. But, yeah, just, well, I'm well. also going to read the book. But he just I mean, listened to us talk about the book for two hours. So yeah, exactly. Just he just, it yeah. forward. Yeah. 
<laughs> Thank you, Florida. Yeah. But yeah, uh, I, I, I think it, but it's it's very different in the way that the narrative is constructed because it's yeah. it's crack hours research narrating the book rather than um rather than in his sister's voice. Rich, am I remembering correctly? Is there a forward in the book by his sister? Oh gosh, man, it's been a I, long I looked time. At it's not a big... the, the forward in the book is by Crackhauer himself. Okay, I thought his sister had some contribution to the book, but again, it's been your ask. I can't remember what I had for dinner. Last I did week. such like a kind of um, catch-all of like interviews and stuff after the fact that I like my perception of the book is very colored. It's been a long time since I've read it, and it's mm-hmm. much more about like people reminding me about the book and being like, "Oh yeah, 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 right, right, right." <laughs> well, last year we did War of the Worlds, and then after mm-hmm. we did the War of the Worlds, I said I should read the book to War of the Worlds, and so I did. So maybe it's Brendan's turn. We did into the wild. Maybe Brendan needs to get into the wild from his finally. Library, I mean, Brendan it's only been it. it's only been on my bookshelf for. 15 years for me oh, you to have read. the book yeah i have the book oh, I look, nice. like i said i looked at it last night and oh, okay all right i just cool. skimmed through it last night there are some maps and like there's some visuals in the book too and it goes pretty yeah. quick it's not a long book his notes i find so remarkable to go back to i mean amongst mm-hmm. the many things of i think why this story has had such a like shelf life is is the way that like there's all these relics of chris's actually that were left mm-hmm. out there to be able to go look at his notes of the kind of food that he was catching to like see the sort of the the writings he was making in the margins of all his books of like a big book nerd up there all of this kind of stuff is like really it's fascinating the deeper you dive into it mm-hmm. yeah all right what do we got right. next brendan right. uh that was three and a half from alex i don't remember if we yep, said it. i did say it I uh did. that was uh jim says into the wild is a great exploration of the relentlessness of youth chris slash alex's journey is one that many people go through though rarely does it get as extreme as it does for chris Having known people like Chris in the in the early '90s, his story feels true and tragic. As for the filmmaking, telling the story on the parallel timeline of the Alaska trek and traveling across the lower 48 states works well. The travelogue vignettes feel like a better version of Easy Rider. Then like a later, uh, the soundtrack, mainly by Eddie Vedder, sets the tone of the movie perfectly and is on my Mount Rushmore. Nice. The cinematography is excellent as well. Five out of five from Professor Jim. Jim says, hero of the movie is Chris's family for letting this story be told. I agree. Yes. I agree with everything uh, Jim said there. Yeah. I do think like the the soundtrack is like a, a good Walking in the Woods soundtrack too. And that, that yeah. Hard Sun is the song that I've had on a lot of, of playlists since this movie. But I think the Society song, although it's like I kind of like – cringe at the whole like society uh but i do think like the song society is pretty good as well we live yeah. in a society zach right uh, yeah, yeah so feel like every, every time they say the word society in this movie i feel like it's like dude gets high for the first time and it's just like society man society, it's like man. it's like it's yeah, like days are confused that. when they're talking about the man yeah yes yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> um yeah all right so stefan uh Spoiler, Stefan has suggested this movie a ton. As I was going yeah. through previous times nice. when this movie has come up, it has always been Stefan, almost always been Stefan. Um, and so, uh, yes, I, I will talk Good about pulse. that when we get to connections to previous Good movies. So uh, Stefan does not, he does not even wait to give us his score. His score is five out of five. He said and he would have given it a six if he could. 
Oh, yeah. Or, yes, or uh, an 11. This thing goes or to 11. 11. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he says, this is one of my favorite films of all time. I watch it at least twice a year and listen to the soundtrack score included at least once a month. Uh, when I was 23 to 24, I backpacked solo across Europe for 16 months. And a lot of the desert hippie stuff takes place near San Diego. So uh, near San Diego. So I, I have been to a lot of those places. I see. So, okay. Mm-hmm. I was like, wait, San Diego, Europe? No. Okay. Uh, he, says, I feel like I, <laughs> he says, I feel like I have a lot in common with Chris. I recently read a lot of Tolstoy to see how far off Chris was from understanding the point. He, like most of the others, was way off on on Thoreau. So here I so here I am missing the point of this movie, just like he missed the points of those author, authors. I know it ends badly, yet I cannot watch Into the Wild without searching for flights or seeing if my tent is still in good shape. <laughs> All of the actors are fantastic, and Penn's direction is underrated. So I want to specifically call out the scene where William Hurt falls to the ground and the performance of non-actor Brian Deerkirk. Uh, I think he played uh, Rainey, I believe. Correct? Yeah. Okay. Uh, since the book, uh, he says, P.S., since the book was written and the movie was made, a lot of things have come out about Chris's family that are not so good and point, paint them in a way worse light. Uh, mm. Did not know that. Um, yeah. And then he has a P.S.S. He says, what would be your new backpacker name? Okay, so like Alexander Supertramp. Uh, my hippie backpacker name stefan putting us on the spot yeah um i don't even uh, know i think that i'm still just dm philly so i got you guys yeah you have like a go-to uh i know yeah. i've, I've uh, gone for many years on the internet as Warfrat, uh but the old like grateful dead fan you know so uh i don't know i've i've worn many names over the years i can't reveal all of them on this podcast though for fear of indicting myself yeah all right. Well, since I'm on a podcast with the Star Wars guys, so I have Star Wars uh, fresh on the mind. And if I was, uh, I would be backpacking all by myself, yeah. uh, backpacking alone, as they say in another movie. Uh, <laughs> I would, I would make, and this is a, this is a book by John Krakauer. I'd make my name uh, John Solo. Yeah, there <laughs> it is, John Solo. I love it. I will be Elmo Saint Vanderkamp. Uh, okay. Yeah. Elmo Saint oh, Vanderkamp. I love that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right, we'll find us find us all playing like Xbox Live under those names or something, <laughs> something like that. Yeah. Um, all right, so that's it. We have for feedback. I mean, uh, Brennan, you and I did get a message from Megan the Librarian, and I think like I don't have it up, but she was commenting just on kind of the like I told her to write in an email, and she didn't. Uh, but she said we can use her her feedback. So I'm gonna kind of try to sum up what she was saying, but she she was commenting kind of on what she doesn't like about this movie. She's not a fan of this movie. And yeah. um, she was saying what she doesn't like is the like immense amount of privilege that Chris has to just be able to be oh, like, absolutely. she said he literally burns money in this movie. And then it's just mm-hmm. like, I'm, I can do this. And, and, you know, she commented on both like the privilege that Chris has, but like that, because he's a, he's a man, he can do this where if like a woman did this, it would be uh, taken a lot differently. So I do think like, it's not, not how I read this movie or not something I think about, but I do think it's like interesting to point to in feedback. I do yeah, think it, it's go for it, Brandon. I'm sorry. It is a distinctly guy thing to have that. I I think, and I could be totally wrong. On I this. don't Some, think so. I don't agree with you on this, but point, but yes. But I think it is a distinctly like guy thing to have the idea of leaving the world behind and going into the wild like Henry David Thoreau and actually following through with it. Whereas, like you know, most ladies that you know when they if when and if they had this thought would be a lot more practical about it and be like, I can't do it because of X, Y, and Z and like not, not pursue that thing. But like young, stupid, privileged males are much more likely to follow through on the idea. 
than than a than a female. Well, and that's that's wild next week, and then we find out yeah. if that's true or not. Yeah, <laughs> I do think that there is some absolute like pure truth to the fact that this young white upper middle class kid was accommodated to be able to do all this. I right. mean, again, just talking about like going on band tours, going on like a Grateful Dead tour back in the day or a fish tour. It is a very different experience for a single woman to be out like mm-hmm. hitchhiking right. the roads across America than for a single man, especially if we rewind the clock 30 some years. Uh, and I think it's something that Krakauer himself has kind of like wrestled with in terms of reconciling. Because to your point, Brandon, I think Krakauer, when he wrote this book, was writing about a very male experience. And mm-hmm. to whatever degree we want to like nurture or nature this, is it the chicken? Is it the egg? Is it a male thing to like want to test yourself and have this measure of strength? Or is it the society that is like indoctrinated men to feel that this is a thing that we should do or we right. need to do to prove our own worth, right? But you look at all the touchstones the guys pulling from of like male authors from a long time ago when female authors maybe didn't have an opportunity to publish their thoughts mm-hmm. um i do think there's a lot of like huge kind of gender stereotypes that are as- assimilated with this and to a degree it is an absolute indictment of like white privilege and and kind of the middle class experience that this kid oh, had i can yeah, say like that, bring... that's more what i was trying to get to yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure I, I like have this 400 square foot tree house in the woods behind my house and i can't tell you guys the number of times i've brought people to my house to see it and they go that is some crazy white people shit right there mm-hmm. like sorry brother i don't know what to tell you well and so he graduates from a private school in atlanta emory university right like in i you know as we're talking about this i'm thinking like if chris was a black guy and he's going he's walking on people's property and you know like he would have like especially in the areas where he would he would have been shot like or like trying to cross the border like the things that he's allowed to do because he is you know as dirty as he is he's still you know white male right like he does have kid yeah yeah and they 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 don't do this in the film, but there's a lot of research that and statements that came out after the out, you know, the outside outdoors article where there were actually may or may not have been multiple instances of Chris breaking into different campgrounds to steal food and supplies. And like he never got in trouble for any of that if he actually did it. Mm-hmm. You know, and then so yeah, I mean, the worst that we see happen to him is the security guard that beats him up. And again, like right. if that same security guard finds a black guy on the back of the train, like, right, how's he treating him? You know, how's he beating him then? So, yeah, yeah. I do think like it's, yeah, yeah, the, I don't know if, the, you know, I don't know how much the movie really delves into it, but I do think like it's a valid point. You know, I, I would love for Megan and Britton in because she's much more eloquent than me. So she could have oh, written like too. a nice email <laughs> and not me like try to like fumble over my words trying to. She's definitely better than me. Yeah, I so. think it's a really good point in the in the minor defense of the kid. He gave twenty five grand to charity. You know, he did right. try he to help where he could, but I think right. he was blind to his own privilege for sure. Yeah. Um, and I do think like you know the, he literally does burn money as she brought up, which yeah, at and, first I was like, oh, he only burns his credit cards, but then like ten minutes later, no, he actually burns money. Yeah. So but, you um, know, maybe maybe save like five hundred of that twenty four thousand dollars to like actually buy. He didn't want that. Like, that was I know, the thing. He was like, rejecting that. Though. I know, but the point. Sorry, I know that's the entire point right. of the movie. But like, it's not. It's not practical. Yeah, it's not practical. Yeah. All right. Uh, so All what right. does that give us for a? Uh, 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 listener average is four and a half. Four so. and a half from the listeners. All right. Uh, so now, Rich, it's when we give our scores. So why don't you go first uh, with your rating, one to five, with half stars. 
Oh my gosh, I'd say 4.5 It's not a perfect film for me by any means I think that there's some more along the way But it's a film I really love And I think I gave it a lot of more attention Watching this time knowing I was going to get to come talk to you guys In your home sphere over here So I think yeah. I gave it a 4.5 I can't call it a 5.0 film I think that's like a, that's a real achievement But it's a film I really like And there's not a hell of a lot wrong with it From where I'm sitting mm-hmm. Yeah it's hard for me to give a five. Brennan, you speaking of fives, you already gave your score. I, think. I mean, I'm still going to, I'm sticking with my five. I mean, we talked a lot about, you know, the things that don't work as well in the movie, especially out of repeat viewing, but it's still a perfect film for me. Um, it's, it's, I'm sticking with my five. It captures for you. Cool. Stick um, my cool. I, uh, I'm at a four. Um, and wow. it was really hard for me to not compare this movie to my movie map. Um, which I am just going to, so, uh, Rich, I think I said the movie map is when we compare to like a movie from last year, like the mm-hmm. best connection to a movie that we did last year. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple that really fit, but immediately the movie that came to mind was the graduate for me. And so it was oh. so hard for me watching this to not think about the graduate and like the soundtrack all by the same artist. And it's about somebody who just graduated college, doesn't know what they want to do with their life. And they're rejecting, uh, you know, society norms and like, I just kept thinking about the graduate watching this movie and like we end in a bus. Both movies end in the back of a bus. Fascinating. Yeah. So, uh, and the graduate was a five-star read for me last year. Uh, I love the graduate. It's one that like, I, I was so excited to revisit. We talked so much about it. So, uh, you know, that diminishes this movie a little bit because of that sort of like last week when we were talking about Walter Mitty and how I kept comparing it to Joe versus the volcano. Uh, yeah. this one, I keep comparing to the graduate. So it's a four for me. Uh, fair enough. You can also movie map to Easy Rider, as yes. you know, was mentioned in the feedback. Yep. That was your um, and then of. also E2 Mama Tell the End. Yeah. Um, also, and we'll, also we'll talk about up. connections too, because yeah. I have a couple other things I want to bring up on connections, but I did just want to spot that there. Uh, hero of the movie. So this is the uh, anybody who you want to give your hero of the movie. It doesn't have to be somebody in the movie. It could be somebody surrounding the movie. Uh, reminder: uh, Jim gave it to Chris's family for letting the story be told. Um, so I'm just going to start, and I'm going to give my hero of the movie to Corinne. Uh, it, and I'm going to give the, to the fictional Corinne, the one played by Jenna Malone, one in the movie. Um, because I think, like, while maybe the narration, like, I don't know how, you know, from a filmmaking perspective, if that's, like, the best. But I do think, like, the role that she has to to step into when her brother leaves, that she has to be, like, this rock for yeah. her family and kind of this, like, she understands why Chris left. And she has, like, this a little bit of communication with Chris and, like, is not surprised, but, like, has to be there for her family and supporting her family through tragedy. Like, I really identify with that. Um, and and also, to like, to part. not feel that resentment, too. Like, to, like mm-hmm. struggling with the resentment of, like, he didn't just abandon our parents. He also abandoned me, somebody that was his confidant, Doc, mm-hmm. that he loved. But that wasn't enough to make him stay. Yeah. Like, so really, she was his rock. Yeah. So that's yeah. uh, that's job. my hero of the movie. Yeah, uh, Rich, I'm going to give it a crack or... hour uh, for the article and the book and the writing of this movie. Um, I think he's, you know, three for three on trying to tell... Christopher McCandless's story. Nice. And learning right. along the way. He's not just sticking to one form of the narrative. He's, you know, adapting the story as he goes. I would love to read more of his books. I don't know if either mm-hmm. of you have read any of his other books. I've not those. read Under the yeah. Banner of Heaven yet, though the show was pretty remarkable. I mean, it's a very riveting television mm-hmm. show. It's heavy. It's dark material. I've definitely read Into Thin Air, though that was another one years and years and years ago. Um, the guy's a good writer. Uh, like, every time I realize that he's the same guy who wrote all this stuff, I have the same reaction. I'm like, holy cow, I like all these things. Uh, yeah. I should pay more attention to his career. Um, 
to the hero yeah. of the movie. I, I'm going to just double down with you, Zach. I was going for Corinne anyway for a different reason, I think, which is that ultimately I feel like her role as the narrator of the film, for me, if it did not work, the film would not work. And I think mm -hmm. that she does an incredible job. I'm a huge Jenna Malone fan. I would like to see her getting more work out there. I think whenever the like woman is given the opportunity to shine, she does and really like steps up to the plate. But there's such like an emotional weight to what she's doing here. She doesn't even get the benefit of being able to be in a scene and perform and bounce off other actors it's this like uh you know tom hanks thing again of castaway that i'm mm -hmm. just so impressed by people that are able to achieve in a really powerful emotional del delivery within a very kind of confined acting environment and i think that that's her task in this film and mm -hmm. it lands for me in a really powerful way where she's able to be angry at chris but compassionate mm -hmm. towards chris and protect chris while also kind of Indicting Chris, and, and there's so much to that narration that I think is really charming. Nice. Yeah. Well, good. I'm glad we're on the same page here. All awesome. right. Uh, connections. So, uh, before we get to connections, just looking at the box office for the week this came out. So, yep. uh, this movie had a very limited release in September. It was only on four screens. So, it, Wild. It, it still appeared at number 33 on the list. Um, and it was actually the same week that the assassination of Jesse James by the uh, Coward Robert Ford was on five screens, so another limited release. Uh, but the major release that week was Resident Evil Extinction, speaking of properties based right. on video games. Uh, and uh, just some other notable ones from that week. Superbad was uh, in its sixth re week of release. Um, and then a couple of movies that we, podcast we talked about on this podcast, Across the Universe, uh, just almost exactly a year ago, was in its second week of release. So that was uh, on this list above... Uh, above into the wild and uh, I, uh once is on this list uh and it's 19th week of release so once has been out for a while um and then i did look at the wide release which was in october so uh you know 10 weeks later or so uh when this went into wide release this was number 13 on the list uh Still but it was up against some heavy hitters including mm -hmm. michael clayton gone baby gone um yeah. cross the universe still in the top 10 that week um Wild. so yeah cross the universe apparently is a big one so you love People the beatles love that, man, man. Yeah, the yeah, I guess that's a good one to see in theaters and things like that. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think there's anything else that we've talked about on this podcast that uh, was out in theaters that week. Uh, speaking of other movies or other times that this has come up, so uh, I have no idea why I suggested this, but episode 27, I suggested this movie off of Hamilton. Um, hmm. I have no. I, I suggested Into the Wild, Newsies, all that jazz is singing in the rain. I have no idea what the connection oh, is. Was he not because he's not throwing away his shot? Was that the deal? I don't think so. No, I, I have no. I I I mean, I oh, because he'll because ne he'll never be satisfied. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> Somebody go listen to our Hamilton podcast and tell me why the it's hell I suggested it. I'm so curious. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's an so incredibly weird. fascinating connection you found there. Yeah, I'm not going yeah. back to Hamilton, but sure. I mean, I love um, Hamilton, but. Right. Yeah, I have no clue why it's on there. Is there, an, um, there's not there we also have connection? we also have written in the notes, so we have our rankings or our ratings for Hamilton, and the listeners are three point five. And Brennan, in parentheses, you wrote, "Wow." <laughs> <laughs> oh, I did. Yeah, of course, I did. Yeah, I because like I was You're so right. disappointed. Yeah, because you had so given it a five. Yeah. I know. You had given Hamilton a five. Hamilton's a uh, five, man. So it also was uh, suggested from Kyle off of episode 42, The Birds, a story about not taking nature seriously enough and the consequences. Ooh, I like that yeah, as a connection. Uh, and then we get into the Stefan run. So episode 60, Off of Speed, he suggested it, movie taking place on a bus. E2 <laughs> uh, Mama Tambien, he suggested it and said this Good is one. a top five film for me for road trip connection. Uh, and then also I believe he suggested it on Chaplin, uh, 
off of uh, episode 120, episode 126, mm-hmm. Chaplin. Uh, I have no idea why it was suggested. I um, do not see it on here. Oh, because uh, it's a biopic. That was what it was. Yeah. Um, and then Secret Life of Walter Mitty. This was suggested by you last week off of the Secret Life of Walter Mitty, Brendan. Yeah. So a point for you. Um, do we have another connection to Secret Life of Walter Mitty? I know we talked I mean, about Sean Penn behind the, the camera. Land, just the, the landscape shots, climbing mm-hmm. up a mountain, uh, climbing up a mountain, getting somebody else to climb up a mountain. Um, you know, lots of the, the, the scrawling text across the screen, which we get yep. in both. Yeah, the other, other thing that I'll add is um, for the third week in a row, we have an actor-director. So we had a head of yep. Harris two weeks ago. We have ben, yep. we had ben Stiller last week, and then we have Sean Penn. Sean although Penn Sean Penn director. does not actually appear in this movie, unlike the other two. Um, and then just uh, I, I had a couple other connections to Pollock uh, two weeks ago. So mm-hmm. uh, Pollock moved off the grid to focus on his art. Yep. Um, and, of course, Marsha Gay Harden, which I think this is the first time we've said Marsha Gay Harden's name this no, week, unlike not, the Pollock episode. Did we? Okay. Yeah, so she's in both movies as well. So. And then um, sit this uh, to to talk to Maverick. Uh, we get scenes set and set set in and around San Diego in both films. Oh, true. Okay, yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, uh, Stefan pointed that out to me. It reminded me. So nice. shout out to Good. Stefan. Oh, we get to yeah. This movie connected to every movie that we've done this year. There you go. Um, all right, cool. Uh, and then movie map. We said Graduate uh, was mine. You said yep. Easy Rider. E2 Mama Tambien. Yep. Um, cool. Uh, Rich, have you seen The Secret Life of Walter Mitty? I have. I unironically love it, despite my better judgment. I don't know yes. why. So it's one of these films that I put it on, and I'm like, more, yeah. it's yeah. very fun. It's just a very fun movie. Ben Stiller yeah. being like dopey, the rollerblading, all the songs. Like that song, even it's still in my head. You know, I like the Secret Life of Walter. Yeah, Bain. the soundtracks are similar in the two movies. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was like very life affirming. I felt like that. Movie. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah, we ended up liking it a lot more than we expected it to. Uh, yes. Expected to going. I, don't, into I was it not always. excited. I was not very excited to go into that, but. Um, Yes. And it was your suggestion. I know. I know. I, well, I mean, it was not that I week. wasn't suggesting. It was just one of those where I was like, ah, this is probably going to be pretty bad. Um, <laughs> right. So, yeah, this movie, like I said, this movie did move down on my uh, 2007. I mean, 2007 is an incredibly strong year. So it only moved down yeah. one spot. And it's only because I realized I had Superbad at number five on my list. And I'm like, oh, no, no, Superbad needs to be in my top three. Um, oh, man, maybe, Super maybe Tramp after Superbad. Yeah, that's no. true. Maybe Superbad even needs to be my number two above Zodiac. Um, and but, there you yeah. 2007. Oh just Zodiac's a, a little bit overrated. Every time I go back and rewatch Zodiac to be like, I need to appreciate this film more. I just walk away like, yeah, all right. <laughs> it's so fair it's enough, so like it's like a whole season of The Wire in a movie is what I yeah that like. it's so in depth yeah, that like is it, fair. It, yeah right and it's just got it's like very it's just got cameo after cameo not like cameo but like you know somebody showing up you're like oh this person this movie this movie, mm-hmm, this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, another movie I will shout out from 2007 that I watched last year and I absolutely love Assassination of Jesse James by Coward Robert Ford oh, yeah. Um, and before the devil knows you're dead, it's another really good 2007 okay. suggestion. If you've never seen that, so um, yeah, it's a Sydney Lumet movie with uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman and uh, Ethan Hawke playing brothers. Right. So, all right. Uh, one last thing. So, uh, uh, what so, is uh, Rich? Why don't Rich? Why don't you go mm-hmm. first? Do you have a one, any one last things? Things that you have not said? Question? Comment? Anything from this movie? I think I've nailed my one last things. I think that there's a lot of hope in the story of Chris McCandles. I think it's a really interesting story because some people can be like, "God, what an idiot," and other people can be like, "God, what an inspiration." And <laughs> there's something just eternally fascinating about that, about the perspective of people um, taking apart the same thing. It, it's a good film, and I'm so grateful that you guys had me on to talk about it. Yeah, this is an enlightening conversation. Yeah. I liked it. Uh, Brendan, how about you? She's my one last thing. So I, 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 this is the first time I ever sort of really actualized this in my head while I was watching this last night and decided to make it my one last thing. So Christopher McCandless 
burns everything, starts his journey in the spring of 1990. He's found dead in the bus in the fall of 1992. This entire movie, for 90% of it, is soundtracked by Eddie Vedder. Mm-hmm. Christopher McCandless probably never heard a single Pearl Jam song. Well, and that they exploded right around then. Right, yeah, that's true. Right, like 92 92, was right? first, so he probably more than likely never heard a single Pearl Jam song, and that is kind of heartbreaking. It's really sad because I really love Pearl Jam. I mean, he's a um, kid. Maybe he was into Temple of the Dog or. I don't know. I mean, I just thought that was really interesting. Like that. Well, when did Pro Jam 10 was? Uh, yeah. when Pro Jam, Pro Jam 10 came out in ni- August 27, 1991. Although, so he hits the road in 1990, right? Yeah. Um, the spring of I mean, 90. So, so he I mean, he might have heard it on the radio. Hitchhiking. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Got to think some like truckers radio somewhere in middle America, you know? Um, but yeah, it, it's very interesting timing. Actually, yeah. kind of like that. And something I hadn't thought about is like, choosing Eddie Vedder to do the soundtrack is like, this might've been the type of like, this might've been the singer he was hearing on the radio as he's driving around, like to choose somebody who in 1991, right. That like, this was right after 10 came out. So this was like a huge album that was like a major hit. So it actually is like a, like a very like metatextual choice to do the soundtrack and not have somebody who's a little bit more, you know, more current. Mm. Or somebody who we definitely would have heard in 1990. You know what I mean? But I think he definitely I did. I, I disagree. I bet you he definitely heard Pearl Jam in 1990. Like, you know, going into story, you know, think about when he goes into like the, the, the kayak guy. Like, I, I think I'm I sure that I don't I'm know. I'm, I'm, ske- I'm skeptical, skeptical. Well, my other thing is that we have those obnoxious, brave, fa- brave fans at the beginning of the movie oh, when yeah. his family are having graduation dinner. <laughs> uh, the Braves <laughs> yeah. made the World Series in 91 and 92 after Chris was oh, already on the road. He missed it. So, oh, there man. you go. But they, lo- they lost both uh, both those World Series. <laughs> so. Oh, poor Braves fans. Oh. Uh, All right. Well, my one last thing. I just love when Chris is talking to the Apple. Um, yeah. I just think it's so funny that he's like, you're super apple. You're the best tasting apple I've ever had or whatever. Although that apple does not look like it's picked off a tree and it looks like yeah. a like, perfectly like grocery store red that delicious apple. apple. has so much paraffin wax on it. Yeah. Like, I could see it like through the screen. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I yeah. do like the way he's behaving. Like, I do, I, it's like really, and like the camera I think is like really up close and stuff. Like it's like, it is. it's just like weird yeah. obnoxious behavior, but there's something about this scene that I really liked. So nice. um, cool. Right. All right. Well, it is time now to pick our movie for next week based on suggestions sent in by the listeners and us, your hosts. Uh, so uh, what we're going to do is we're going to read through these from the listeners, and then Rich is going to give uh, try to dodge some landmines and see which ones he suggests, and then Brennan and I will put ours in, and then we'll pick uh, – we'll each pick two movies or one movie, actually. I think one movie each. Yes, yeah. one movie each. Yeah. So uh, we'll have, And then we'll have a final three and decide what we want to watch. So we have our first suggestion to come to us uh, from a stranger – on Instagram, uh, yeah, not somebody that we knew, not somebody we emailed us. We had strangers emails, but never a stranger on Instagram. Uh, so I really like that. Uh, so Leah McKenna on Instagram, uh, Leo, keep sending us your suggestions on Instagram. Uh, yeah, said, I didn't listen. like, I didn't I like this listen. one. Uh, I didn't like this one, uh, talking about Into the Wild. Uh, mm-hmm. not, not, no score or anything else. Submit your score so we can factor it in. If you didn't like it, let's bring that listener average down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and speaking of listener averages, 4.5. I don't know if we ever actually said what the whole yeah, the overall average I did. I, I said it. I said okay. it. Cool. All right. 
So Leo continues, my favorites about travel and discovery are Wild from 2014 and Vagabond from Agnes Varda. Yeah, um, Vagabond's been on my list for a while and keeps coming up on Criterion Weeks. I just need to actually watch it. Yes. Uh, was it Vagabond or was it Faces Places? I For some reason, There's I'm thinking it was... a like, bunch of them. <laughs> no, but I'm, what, what Leo had put on there... Um, it was Vagabond. Almost Vagabond. I put, yeah, it was I, Vagabond. Yeah. I put it on yeah. the... Okay. I don't know why. For some reason, I thought it was face places. I took it directly from Instagram. Yep. Alexo says, a young man with an arrogant father goes off on a quest to find himself, meeting many characters along the way. One of his father figures is played by Hal Halbrick. And no, it is not Into the Wild. It is Disney's Hercules. There you go. Um, Good job, Is that I'll Make a Man out of You? Or is that Mulan? Is I'll Make a Man out of You? That's Mulan. Yeah, Yeah. okay. Uh, All right. Another movie where a young human lives away from civilization and other humans are going into the wild to destroy it. Studio Ghibli's Princess Monaki. Mononoke. Princess Mononoke. Yeah, I just watched it last week. It's a good one. Yeah, Yeah, I know Alex is uh, trying to get us to see some anime this year. So Uh, and then uh, Alex says another Emil Hirsch movie from the following year. That is Speed Racer. Yeah, that movie was supposed to be a big deal. I never saw it. Was it was the Wachowskis that did it. Wachowskis. I cannot pronounce yeah. anything today. Uh, yeah, if we did Speed Racer, uh, we would get Matthew Fox, speaking of Lost, and also oh, yeah. um, we would get Emil Hirsch in a car, or Emil Hirsch mm-hmm. in an automobile, because uh, he was in the bus and this. All right. Uh, Jim suggests, while it might not be the right season, Sean Penn's Flag Day is the perfect connection here. Flag Day is a coming-of-age story about his daughter, Dylan Penn, struggles to come to grips about with her father's criminal life. Uh, so it's not it's not a true story, but his his daughter plays one role, Sean Penn plays the other. It includes songs by Eddie Vedder and movie ladder favorite, movie ladder podcast favorite, Glenn Hansard uh, from Once that we talked about oh, earlier, yeah. as well as songs sung by Eddie's daughter, Olivia. So lots of, and this is from, last, uh, from 2021, two years ago. Nice. All right. Stefan says Everest, a film based on Krakauer's other book. I didn't realize that. The yeah, Everest that's in the fair is Everest, Everest, yeah. Okay. Uh, Milk with Sean Penn and Emil Hirsch. Yep. And yeah. uh, Begin Again, Catherine Keener and a film with a good soundtrack. Yep. All right. And uh, Olin suggests, okay, let's get it done. Uh, and that documentary, Out of the Way, super obvious about a man looking to be uh, at one in the wilderness of r- rural Alaska. Of course, it is Grizzly Man from 2005. Yep. So it's, it's on my list. Yep. Um, alternatively it's a good film they share a yeah. ton of dna for sure tread well yeah, there actually is a there is a bear credited in into the wild uh, bart the yep. bear too yeah but, bart the bear yeah yeah uh and then um olin actually sent me a clip to how to pronounce this uh next movie and i'm just say the quiet this. girl that everybody calls it the quiet girl oh it's yes. called the quiet girl okay yeah it's called so, the quiet girl it's 2021 yeah Okay, on Calling Kuhn, I just listened to what he sent me again. So, uh, yeah. The Quiet Girl. So, he said, alternatively, it's Oscar season. Want to do a major nominee for the 2022 Academy Awards, but a young person leaving their home and traveling far to discover a different way of living. Let Brendan join me in waving the Irish flag for the yeah. first Irish film to be nominated for Best International Film. So, yes, it is an Irish on Calling Kuhn. The, uh, Quiet, the Girl. Quiet Girl, 2021. I don't know if it's streaming yet, but I'm curious. Okay. Yep. Yes. Um, All right. So that was just, that was just announced today. I'm assuming. Yeah, then? it was. Yeah. Should, okay. Yeah. Oh well. Um, all right. Well, Rich, you get to lead us off uh, with your uh, your movies that you want to suggest that we do and what those connections are. 
Oh my gosh. Okay, I have a handful. Uh, some of them are going to, mileage may vary as it goes here. But as I've stated multiple times across uh, this podcast, I'm a huge Jenna Malone fan. And she's not been in a ton of stuff, but stuff that is like very notable for me. So dare I go for uh, Jenna Malone, cool movie, Donnie Darko. But I feel like you guys have probably covered it already. We have not covered it. Um, Amazing. I, I think it's a good suggestion because she plays, you know, she plays the sister. The sister, yeah. 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 Uh, okay. Also notable then, I'm going to stick to like the same kind of theme here, just to like push down some more anime. If this is like an agenda that the listeners have for you guys, I will go with a different uh, Hiseo Miyazaki film. And so Jenna Malone is uh, the main lead voice in Howl's Moving Castle, playing the character of Letty, uh, which is a different sort of animal entirely from Howl's Moving Castle. But there is connective tissue there that I think is worth me pushing out. There you go. Um, finally, I got one more for you here. Uh, it's always like such a treat whenever you see Catherine Keener, like kind of show up anywhere. I like very firmly fell in love with her as a performer in being John Malkovich, uh, ah, which nice. is like a strange turn to make from into the wild, but late nineties, you know, uh, it's a film of the nineties where the story of into the wild is in the nineties and Catherine Keener just like stealing the show as a secondary character, I think fits. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, we got that. Uh, we uh, we definitely have talked about that one coming up a lot. But you did you dodged all the landmines, Rich. Okay, great. There you go. Good job, Rich. Excellent. Right. I feel happy. Uh, I so I get to go next. Uh, I have a few that I'm gonna go with. I'm gonna go with a disaffected young man goes on a journey of self discovery to find out who he truly is in an Oscar an Oscar nominated film, Lion. Oh yeah. Uh, let's see. T Dub favorite else? is Lion. Yep. <laughs> uh, gonna go with instead of going into the wild, let's go into the woods with the end of the woods musical starring Mel Streep. Uh, there's the you know there's a lot of dangers in the woods. Um, how about a Pearl Jam soundtrack? Uh, in a movie set in the same time period as this, in that singles. Lion into the Woods uh, singles. Right. And I'll do one more. Um, do, 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 do. Uh, let's go with the guy gets into a dangerous situation when he's out on a solo trek uh, 127 hours. Ah, um, yes. Also Oscar nominated. Starring James Another uh, yep. and a movie that has a grisly scene, not grisly, gruesome scene towards the end. Grizzly. Grizzly or gruesome. Yep. Gr- yeah, but not a grisly bear scene. I got Bart a the bear was not in that. Yeah, I very close came very close to recommending The Edge, one of my favorite films. Yeah. Ah, yes. Sort of terrible uh, middling action movie of the 90s, which stars Bart the Bear. Uh, Bart the Bear one though, because Bart the yeah. Bear two, I just clicked on his letterbox. <laughs> uh, he, he's in We Bought a Zoo, Peach Dragon, Zookeeper Without yeah. a Paddle, Doctor Doolittle two. Uh, oh, hardest working bear in show business. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, good job, Bart the Bear. All right. Uh, so I have a lot on my list. Uh, Speed Racer was taken off, so I can take that one yeah. off. Um, Emil Hirsch in a coming of age story. Uh, I was expecting to be also saying and co-starring Academy Award nominee Paul Dano, but uh, was not the case. Uh, because he was not nominated for Fable. And then, so I will put The Girl Next Door on. I was um, very close to pulling it. I'm glad it showed up. Yeah. It's it's one of those movies that you think is going to be like a, like a shitty teen American Pie ripoff. But it's actually right. like pretty like sweet movie. Like there's some good stuff in that from what I remember. Um, and it was like a year or two before I this, I think. Uh, next one, we have went from Sean Penn in front of the camera um, to Sean Penn or Sean Penn behind the camera to Sean Penn in front of a camera. 
And we also get Marsha Gay Harden. Uh, this is not going to be an uplifting watch, but it is about somebody losing, losing children. Uh, can also be the connection that would be Mystic River. I think also no, based I on the book. So, um, yeah, lots of yeah. Is that my daughter? Uh, we went into the we went into the wild, and I can't believe nobody suggested it. But why don't we go into the Spider Verse? We'll be going across the oh, Spider Verse later this year. Why don't we check out into the Spider Verse? Um, and uh, the next one I have, yeah, so you did four. Um, I have so many on my list still. Um, uh, yeah. do, 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 I will do Lost City of Z uh, about nice. somebody exploring the outdoors. I never saw it. It's about an explorer, James Gray. Um, I know it has a lot of like father son stuff in it, which is pretty common in James Gray movies. Speaking of, we a lot of Twilight mentions on this, co-starring uh, Robert Pattinson. Oh, Robert Pattinson. Oh, nice, cool. Okay, so we go, you know, uh, yeah, Twilight, you know, t- like exploring and also having a Twilight cast member. I don't know, Lost City of Twilight oh, or something. Lost uh, City. And then the, I will do one more, um, only <laughs> because it came up so much on this podcast, and I cannot believe nobody suggested it. Uh, and uh, I'm rich. You brought it up. I think it's a great connection. Being alone in the wilderness and trying to survive and trying to get home, you know, and then having things happen in your family life. Tom Hanks. Also waves. Waves. And waves. Waves. Dangerous waters. Yes. I don't know if there was a volleyball in Into the Wild, but uh, I, fair enough. I can't overstate how tremendous of a film I think Castaway is. Oh, that I, I, is like the 5.0 film right there. Yeah. Castaway is a movie that I really liked when I first saw it, and every subsequent viewing, I like it more. Um, also, there's significant like weight fluctuation of your main character as they're trapped oh, yes. in that film, mm-hmm, yeah. and the beard and the hair. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I think, uh, you know, Castaway right. is the other yeah. one. Cool. All right. So I had a bunch of honorable mentions I want to talk to. Same. Quick. Right, uh, so, Sullivan's Travels is one that I, I had that, that on my yeah, list. Yeah, yeah. Um, yep. what else? All right, let me go through mine while you find yours. So I had oh, where, where the Wild Things Are, Catherine uh-huh. Keener, and a Wild Movie. I had Up in the Air just for the like. Yep. I don't even know like the like rejecting society. I think there's some cast connections. Uh, Superman Returns because he calls the yep. apple Super Apple and he's Super Tramp. Uh, The Great Outdoors, Misery, The Big Chill because we've got William Hurt in a coming of age story. Uh, there is a movie called On the Road. Yep. Based, and that was on, my also ran, based yeah. on a um, Jack, uh, what is it? Jack Kerouac. Uh, Jack yeah. Kerouac. Kerouac. And it's starring yeah. Kristen Stewart, is in that, or yep. co-starring. Yeah, it was um, on my uh, also Another ran. road movie starring William Hurt in, until the end of the world, but that one's like a five and a half hour movie. It's really good, but I'm not going to. Not going to suggest a five and a half hour movie. And then yeah. the one that this kept reminding me of, but it's not streamable, although it was nominated for an Academy Award today. Speaking of Paul Dano, that is The Fablemans. Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of connected tissue between this movie and The Fablemans. Like, I agree. Um, you also also came up uh, uh, on my list, uh, Tree of Life, uh, Motorcycle Diaries, uh, Free Solo, I thought about, um, Mystery Alaska, Call of the Wild, Hacksaw Ridge. Um, what else? Anything else? Uh, Nomadland also was it? Oh yeah, Nomadland. I would kick out as you mentioned, Free Solo. I would kick out The Alpinist. I think it's on Netflix, which is the story of this Canadian fellow, Mark Mark Andrew Leclerc or something. Uh, Very huge Alex McCandless kind of energy. uh, Mm -hmm. Very much fits the bill. Yeah. I like to call him Alex McCandless. You just combine the two names. Uh, Yeah. Chris Supertramp. I'm over it. Yep. All right. right. Uh, Brandon, let's take it from we've got suggested, and then we're each gonna pick one to go on to the finals. All right. We have Wild. Uh, Vagabond, Hercules, Princess Mononoke, Speed Racer, Flag Day, Everest, Milk, Begin Again, Grizzly Man, uh, The Quiet Girl, Donnie Darko, Howl's Movie Castle, Being John Malkovich, Lion, Into the Woods, Singles, 127 Hours, The Girl Next Door, 
Mystic River into the Spider-Verse, Lost City of Z, and Castaway. Zach, you get to pick first here. All right. Oh, man. I forgot I was going to go first, and I was not ready. Um, I can't pick off my list because I'm no, like, oh, like a lot of the... I know. I'm going to throw Wild on there. Um, okay. I know it came up a couple times. Yep. Um, yes, I think... We just we can you know, get the other side of this. Wild. I mean, this is the this is the perspective that um Megan the Librarian was talking about. This the, right. Well, the, maybe the you know what? If we do Wild next week, I'm gonna see if we can get Megan the Librarian to come on. I think that's a great idea. All right. Um, not promising because she might be busy. Yeah. Uh, so that was from 2014, and that's yep. uh, Reese Witherspoon. Uh, and last week I was on a podcast, and I said I can't say what movie we're gonna be doing next week, uh, but it is something wild. And I said, well, it's not some, it's not the movie something it's not wild. The movie. It's just movie. <laughs> yeah, movie. but maybe our title connection, if we do wild, can be something wild. Right, right, right. Yeah, there you go. Um, all right. Uh, I have a couple that I want to choose between, and it's either the documentary or a movie that's almost a documentary. Um. Oh, but the connection's so good. Um, what was the what's the one that's almost a documentary? Milk. I mean, it's okay. you know, it's a biopic. Um, it's Sean Penn and Neil Hirsch. I I would really love to do Milk. Um, but I think I I think it, that I wouldn't be true to myself if I didn't pick Grizzly Man because it was well, on my milk, list. Milk is also not streaming. Grizzly Man streaming in like four places. So Grizzly Man. That's my that's my pick. Yeah. All right. Good job, Owen. All right, and uh, Rich, you get to pick. Anything except movies that you suggested. I'm going to have to go with Castaway. It's too easy. There you go. <laughs> nice. Um, all right. Well, I'm, I'm done with Castaway, but uh, let me see what Oh, man. <laughs> I mean, all of these are good. So our final three is Wild, Grizzly Man, Grizzly Man and, Castaway. and Castaway. All three. Oh, apparently, there's a Nicholas Rogue made a movie called Castaway in 1986. Not that one. Oh, man. Uh, that's not that one. <laughs> um, all right. Streamability. Wild is uh, rentable. All right. Great. Um. All right, and uh, oh, we gotta yeah. pick quick because Rich has to get yep. out of here. Grizzly yeah, Man Rich has to get out of here. We, all right, Grizzly Man is streamable. Castaway is streamable. I say we just do Castaway, but uh, I don't know. What do you, Brennan, Thanksgiving. What do you I mean, if you really want to do Castaway that bad, I mean, I mean, I'd rather do Grizzly Man, but fine, we can do Castaway. Have That's, you seen yeah. Grizzly Man? I have not. No, I have not. All right. Well, I don't. Since I want to do Castaway, you want to do Grizzly Man? Why don't we do Wild? I think that's a fair call. Grizzly Man, honestly, fair. is very good. Castaway, uh, my favorite right. film. We're doing we'll wild, and we're going to attempt to get Megan the Librarian. Can't promise. Yep. Absolutely. All right. uh, so it's streamable, and, and we'll we'll close out with some stuff, but we'll let Rich say goodbye. Um, yep. Just uh, so Rich, you have anything you want to plug? I sure do. Yeah, I'm always doing stuff. I'm over at twitch.tv slash DM Philly. If you want to go give me a follow over there, I run a bunch of Dungeons and Dragons with some of my friends, many of whom are PSR podcasters. I'm over at PSR covering a bunch of TV, always talking about all kinds of stuff, which has been very fun. Doing the Dark Rewatch podcast, which we talked about a little bit early on, and that has been an absolute treat. Uh, yeah, and you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at DM Philly, and I'm happy to talk about any of this stuff all the time. Uh, my DMs are open, so hit me up. Rich, thanks so much for coming thanks, on. Um, yeah. yeah, this was, a, I mean, we this did was not, awesome. Yeah. yeah, this is probably one of our longer podcasts, and we went so long that you have to leave, which is great. I know, um, it's wild. And, uh, it's like, no, we'll be fine. We're not going to no, make that hard. I thought, uh, yeah, no right chance. We're not going to talk about this hours, right? But also, I am a verbose individual and love the sound of my own voice. So thank you for letting me come and share that voice with you guys. Really, uh, Brandon had asked me a couple of times, and we couldn't get scheduling lined up, and it's I was hard, so yeah. excited. When I realized we were going to do Edge of the Wild, I got really fired up, and I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, he uh, had I, a, he had an idea to have you on, and I was like, I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, sure, ask him. And then he said, he was like, before I even had a chance to edit the podcast, he was like, yeah, Rich is in. I was like, oh, yeah. okay, cool. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah I'm like, 
I, yeah. I look forward to uh, our many more adventures in that galaxy far, far away, uh, Rich, in uh, over on PS Recaps later this year. So Yes. Uh, and, and don't forget Willow, because Willow yep. and Castaway are the two things that Rich Hello. is telling everybody to watch. Uh, I'm contractually obligated to promote yeah. Willow right now. Castaway, Absolutely. it's okay. It's it's many years old. You'll get to it when you get to it. <laughs> Rich, fun. I will say that if I find some TV space, I will get to Willow, and I will, because of you... Um, Yes, it's always oh it's always good God. when somebody yeah I no I, I feel like you. yeah well and we also if we do the well I guess you already did a I was gonna say if we do the Willow movie you can come back but I'm sure there's already a podcast with you talking about that movie there I'm sure. oh please there could definitely be more than one of those out there okay. in the world right. <laughs> right. thank you guys so much for having me I'm sorry I got a jet at the last no minute. you're good oh, okay. okay all right talk to you later. thanks for coming on. All right, Brendan. So yes, right, we're doing Zach? wild next week. Yeah, um, I guess we're doing wild next week. And we're this is to the first. We've never we've never outlasted a guest before. I know it's wild. <laughs> uh, it's something wild. Uh, it is something wild. Yeah. Um, so yes, we're doing wild next week. Uh, Jean-Marc yeah. Vallée is the director of that, it's starring Reese Witherspoon and Laura Dern from 2014. Uh, sorry, you're gonna have to rent it again, or check out your local library. You can probably get the yeah, Blu-ray or the disc from there. So there um, we'll be back next week to talk about it. Uh, Brendan, what are you looking forward to watching this week? Uh, so I just added a bunch of Oscar, <laughs> yeah. Oscar-nominated stuff to my watch list. I got to watch at least one of those tonight. I think tonight I'm going to tackle All Quiet on the Western Front. Ooh, um, it's, so, it's It's gotten so many Oscar nominations today. Um, yeah, I think I just got to watch it. I got to make dinner and watch All Quiet on the Western Front. Um, Living also is up there. Uh, Causeway is on my list. Yeah, I just, the Film Spotting yeah. Podcast, uh, Adam Kepin, I was talking all about Causeway. He's about about Causeway. He said he's been, like, okay. uh, support the Causeway for a long time. So. Only 96 minutes and on Apple TV, so there you go. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, I might, I might try to do Causeway tonight on uh, somebody whose podcast, uh, whose Skype I'm sharing with uh, Apple account. Yeah, uh, that's, maybe. Yeah. Um, but yes, I uh, I too have this Oscar watch list now. Um, speaking of you, Brennan, I might actually just try to, I might just jump into the Banshees of Inner Sharon after we get off oh, this podcast. Oh, man. You should. Uh, Absolutely. I, I feel it's like so it's good. appropriate on Oscar nomination day to, like, watch something. Watch a, Oscars. Yeah, watch something um, nominated that you hadn't watched yet. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Although it is like starting that. to get late. I haven't eaten dinner. And I had a Not podcast, dinner. So it's, yeah. Um, <laughs> and I am going to tackle All Quiet, but I've talked about books a lot, and I do feel right. like, uh, I do feel like I need to read All Quiet on the Western Front yeah. before I watch the movie. Um so yeah uh you didn't else? have to be you didn't have to watch all quiet on the western front when you were a kid no and i didn't have to read oh, it wow. either and that's, I feel like that's what i meant I, yeah yeah no that's i wild. feel like i and it's not a long book so i did i put in a request for it at the library today before everybody starts requesting it because yeah. of the nomination so yeah we had um, to read it in eighth grade and watch the old old movie like from the 30s yeah you know how many you know how many books i was supposed to read in school that i just read the you did, notes for and i like regret just reading the cliff notes for it instead yeah. of reading. But I just like it. I couldn't appreciate books when I was younger. Now I appreciate privilege. Them. I've gotten, I know. Yeah. I'm just calling me <laughs> Christmas. Uh, yes. All right. Um, hey man, anything, anything else? else? No, we, nah. we've got to ask rich what he's looking forward to watching, but I, I feel like it's just, um, he's looking forward to I, watching I have more a Willow. feeling it's uh, more of the last of us and whatever else. Oh, I got to watch the last podcasting about too. next. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and if you didn't listen to Brendan and Rich talk about um, uh, Andor, I keep wanting to call yeah. Solo. They were great on on Solo. It's like, oh, thanks, buddy. Yeah, they it's what's Andor, fun. It's like, yeah, for sure. Yeah, what did I call it? Solo? Yeah. Um, so <laughs> free Andor. Yes. I, I do. I do feel like at some point I'm going to end up rewatching Andor because I think there was, it was like such a rich show. Speaking of rich, uh, and 
So again, when I when we get one of these lulls on TV, maybe I'll rewatch yep. the whole series of Andor. There you go. Uh, that's that's also, something I keep saying I'm gonna do is re what, like who has time to rewatch TV? Right. You yeah. Know? Seriously. Um, <laughs> it's hard I'm enough actually, to rewatch a movie. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. I'm. Um. I am watching For All Mankind. I dig dug back into that. Speaking of uh, Sony's nice. Apple TV uh, account, and it's really well made. It's it's like a it's like a nice companion piece with uh, Mad Men. I feel like. Um, right. just the have fun on my Apple TV. Um, <laughs> Somebody. We're not saying who's. Uh. All right. Super Apple TV. Super Apple. Uh, Brendan, anything else that you want to dive into? I don't think there's anything, right? No, Um, no. Um, some really fun Letterboxd reviews on this. I think we'll skip those the after credits today. No, we're not uh, skipping that. We'll just we'll do one or two. I have to pee. All right, we'll do one or two. Yeah, I know. And I need to go eat. So yes. All right. Well, we'll see everybody next week for Wild. Yes, I. All right, Brennan, what's your favorite letterbox review? I don't have one. Okay. Uh, I like the person that says I thought I would about doing this, but I'm a woman or something like that. Oh yeah, okay, yes. Yeah, so yeah, that was yeah. the one I think that's the one that Megan Liberian sent us. I, I actually yeah. wish I could venture out alone and do something like this for a little bit, but unfortunately I'm a woman. Uh here's right. a half half star review. Uh privileged white boy acts like an ungrateful brat and runs away from home to live out the rest of his life, surviving only on his pretentious ass. Because of that, he thinks he's better than everybody else for being a free spirit. Wow, look at him. Uh, he refuses to have a car. What an amazing social criticism. But what what this imbecile doesn't understand is that this is the most uh, something thing uh, he could ever do, romanticize life. Uh, uh, okay. Uh, only, a, only a rich, poor, teen, bored teen boy who wanted to have an adventure anyways. In the end, he dies. Um, all right. Well, well let's get a, let's get a more fun. Uh, yeah, let's get a more positive one. Yeah, let's go. There's about half stars. Uh, wow, there's a lot of half star reviews. Um, That's a bummer. Uh, fuck it. Gonna live in the woods instead of confronting my family trauma. I feel like yeah, exactly. Uh, Try therapy. Yeah, yeah. that's a good uh, All right, here we go. I cannot possibly begin to describe my feelings towards the story or perhaps the whole concept of what McCandless did. After watching the movie, I could not think of anything but a strange longing to do what what he did and just keep it going. This kind of sounds like uh like Stefan. I still feel that that way even now and as I think of it as I think about it. Uh, later, I read the book twice and did a lot of research about McCandless and became more and more inspired. This is not just a movie. It is a wonder of creation. I have so much more to say, but I'll just stop here. Watch the movie, even if you are not inspired by what McCandless did. It is a beautiful movie in many ways. That was from Miss T. So uh, if you listen to this whole podcast and you were not inspired to watch the movie by anything we said, maybe Miss T inspired you. Yeah, I hope and, we uh, inspire people. Yeah, and we, again, we'll see everybody next week for Wild. <laughs>